following Days of Thunder pay-per-view special is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I am your host, your all lang syne of Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by New Year's Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you in 2021? That's how you got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm, um, Christmas period is over. Yeah. It was a fucking desperate time yeah <laughs> at, at the best of times and happy that it's 2021 yeah i think we were talking about it in our last show it was going to be a weird christmas anyway um but with things that happened both in the in the real world and elsewhere mm-hmm. uh it was a tougher christmas than even we were expecting so i think we were both relieved to get back into the the routine to sit down and chat to each other as we haven't had a proper chance in nearly a month now at this stage I tell you, never have I embraced WCW like I embraced watching this show. <laughs> Came running back into the the bosom the bosom of Easy E. Yeah, oh God, I missed it. Yeah, <laughs> but other than but, that, how are you? Uh, I'm good. And look, I I had a hard I've had a hard couple of weeks. Um, yeah. work was horrendous. I I had lost my dog. Um. I had to have my dog put to sleep over Christmas. Oh um, man, that that just broke my heart. Like as a as a noted dog person mm-hmm. on the show, like you know, I I think it's one of those things where you only realize that like how awful that is for somebody when you have a dog yourself. You know, ah, uh, oh, it, it's just horrendous. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah. Um, and I mean, apart from all of that, I mean, we had like we we were due to record last week. Yeah. And neither of us wanted to do it because of what happened with Brody Day. Yeah. So the, we can't, like, you know, we've acknowledged uh, the passing of wrestlers and, and mm-hmm. wrestling adjacent personalities in the past on the show. Because even though we are looking back uh, to 1998, it would kind of be remiss of us to pretend like it's the happy, fun, smiley show and that we're not mm-hmm. kind of like feeling a bit weird coming back to watching wrestling. But yeah, as you say, um, just about, what, two weeks ago now as we're recording this, the, the tragic news came out that uh, yeah. Brody Lee, a.k.a. Luke Harper, a.k.a. Big Rig, uh, a.k.a. was a Huber Boy number two. It was Huber Boy number two, yes. Yeah, uh, tragically passed away at only 41 years old. Uh, and between his passing and the kind of emotional tributes and some of the stuff we won't get into that kind of like um, 
mired uh, our feeds for a while. It was just, it didn't feel right to come out with a kind of, hey, Halloween Havoc, let's have some yucks. But uh, look, I think whenever we've talked about AEW uh, on here and in our chats with friends, um, the two of us have been like huge enthusiasts mm-hmm. of Brody Lee going as, as as long as I can remember seeing the man. Um, what are your, your thoughts on, on the man and the career he had and your kind of uh, history with, with uh, Brody Lee? I mean, God, like how, how could you not? Like after seeing the tributes over the past two weeks... Just think, this is the most wonderful man, and he was far too good for that for the wrestling business. Um, yeah. like uh, I the first time I remember seeing him was the Age of the Fall in Ring of Honor. Mm. Um, I was just kind of falling out of indie wrestling around that time. Yeah, so I kind of only caught the 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 slightest glimpse of him around then, and was was more kind of aware of him through chat and you know magazines and stuff like that than anything else i didn't see any of the chakara stuff in real time or the dragon gate stuff and then became a lot more aware of him obviously when he debuted in nxt yeah uh, i think that's kind of the the people who you know weren't following the independent scene too closely would have known him as, as part of the the wyatt family and mm-hmm. whereas i would probably go back to around the same time as you like i yeah i remember age of the fall i remember some chikara stuff i was kind of a i would never call myself a chikara fan but i was a dip in and out of chikara when the occasion presented itself mm-hmm. sort of guy you know it was one of those like the equivalent nowadays is you know when you don't keep a subscription to one wrestling VOD service you're going to rotate it every month so like every so often if if a mate or if somebody was pointing out a particular Chikara match or DVD or something like that I'd get a a hold of it and watch some Uh, but I wasn't a huge fan so yeah the the first time I was getting to see him regularly as would be the same for a lot of people who weren't actually travelling to shows on the American scene at the time would have been uh, in NXT and WWE mm. as Luke Harper and as the guy who, in that Wyatt family, like what, it's such a the stable had such a weird history of being like heated up and then forgotten about and then in some real shoddy shit. But the one thing you would hear out and out is just how professional Luke Harper was, how much people in the company wanted to work with him, how much of a joy he was in any. Uh, Wyatt family match and um, you'd constantly hear things coming out about how like underrated and undervalued he was and how like this wasn't coming from him personally you weren't mm-hmm. hearing it from you were hearing other wrestlers going what the fuck kind of like a Cesaro as yeah. well with the like why the fuck aren't we pushing this guy to the moon and he got his little moments here there he had like a blink and you'll miss it intercontinental title run and I think we were all so delighted to see him finally go to AEW and be in the position um, that he deserved to be in, you know, for the, the, the hours and the slog that he put in and for the kind of, the amount of people, it turns out, when now we're hearing stories a bit, and the amount of people he helped along the way mm-hmm. and got hired, got them jobs, got them exposure. Um, just a real, like you said, a guy who was too good for the wrestling business. I mean, all you have to do, all you have to, have to do is look at he was in AEW for seven months I think eight months max yeah and look at the effect he had on every single person in the dark order yeah I I was saying this to to you guys in chat and it's not I'm not claiming to be the only person that had this thought I think a lot of people did was like in the seven eight months that he was in AEW 
he has left maybe three or four of the most enduring memories that company mm-hmm. has so far. Oh, easily. Uh, not only that, but I think a lot of people couldn't help but think about the Dark Order themselves, who literally a year previously, everyone was completely stone cold on them. There was an angle mm-hmm. that ended the show. The, uh, the Christmas show, wasn't the, it? The Christmas show that people just absolutely mm-hmm. hated. And it marked a kind of, I think that was a real... Um, that was, it was a sea change in the company. That was when um, Tony Khan really just said, right, that's it, I'm in charge. Yeah, yeah. And you started seeing things turn around uh, mm-hmm. from there. But the biggest turnaround in the Dark Order, like this isn't to negate the talent of a lot of people in that group, but the biggest X factor was Brody. And not only his performances as the exalted one, but also his belief in those guys in the group. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, like, I'm I'm not not sliding him when I say this, but I know Tony Schiavone said on the tribute show that at one stage we all thought Mahardy was to be the exalted one. And that was the big, the big rumor that yeah. it was Hardy that was going to come in as you know broken yeah. mat and lead them or whatever. And just imagine how different the Dark Order would be now. Yeah, and like they're all again. I don't question their talent. Like you know, I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a Beyond Wrestling guy, so I love Reynolds and Silver. I think the two of us, you know, as long as we've seen them on the indie scenes, have been have been a big have been big fans of Uno and Stu Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um and Anna Jay is somebody who people rightly talk up as like the rate at which she has improved for her level of experience is nothing short of shocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, especially considering like the level of talent she wrestles most of the time is yeah. people of her own level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which goes against the usual. You know, you need to wrestle people better than you to get yeah. better. Um, and you know the the other guys as well, like uh, Alan Angels and Preston Vance and like um. Oh God, and I mean not not to make this an AW thing but like how apparent is it that they are building Preston Vance to be one of the biggest fucking stars in the world yeah I mean like they've got so, like it, it's a complete aside but the amount of talent they have bubbling under in that company mm-hmm. that like once they pull the trigger on some of them it's gonna it's amazing but that tribute show as well like not to as you say turn this into an AEW podcast I mean that's boom goes the dynamite territory and they did a great breakdown of the show but it was, and we have unfortunately Lee, seen a lot of fucking tribute shows mm-hmm. in our time. Um, and again, not to denigrate any other ones we've seen, but this was the most tone perfect mm-hmm. uh, tribute, like mind boggling fantastic. I was watching this by myself with a stiff drink and I laughed and I cried and I, I, just it was such a warm tribute they involved the family in the right way they're saying all the right things about looking after the family the matches were fantastic like these guys who had just lost their friends a couple of days before did not need to work nearly as hard as they did on this show mm-hmm. um they put all the dark order guys over there was great moments with a negative one uh <laughs> brody's son uh caning mjf which was fantastic um and he i'll tell you what he laid it in he's his father's son <laughs> did, 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 did you see the bit on bte i think i'm pretty sure it was bte um he's in the back uh negative one road jr is in the back and he has the cane and Ru, he's hitting rusev yeah and he's rusev goes oh you know you can hit me harder you can hit me and he goes well you'll have to bend over and he makes him bend over and he fucking wallops the back off him. yeah he bops and it was great <laughs> but, um, um i mean look 
again, it, it's not the most important part of it. But that tribute show might be... I mean, it's a top three episode of wrestling TV ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was just fantastic. And he would, you can see from the, the things people said on the show, things people have been saying on Twitter, on BTE and other kind of platforms, just how much he meant to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. I know the the two that really completely broke my heart on the show. Well, three actually. Now that I think about it, were Eddie Kingston, Bryce, yeah. um, and Cold as well. Cold, oh, oh, cold. cold, cold fighting back the tears. That was that was the first time I went. Oh, um, opening the show, cold coming out, and it was just. Yeah. I mean, I watched the whole show with, with fucking red red eyes. Yeah, it was just. But yeah, not re- really, really sad. Yeah. to see a man in his prime taken down like that yeah horrible um and like yeah i i don't think uh we can do justice to the to the man's uh mm-hmm. career any better than than his friends and his colleagues already have yeah. but like we had to mark it so uh yeah rest in peace big rig uh you will be missed for sure for sure mm-hmm. Before we get into uh, our beers and our our yucks and uh, this show, which was uh, a real fucking mixed bag, but we'll talk about it in a few minutes, Lee. Uh, we got a couple of plugs before we start. Now, not sponsored plugs or anything like that. God, we're, we're not making that sweet sponsorship money yet. Are, are you hair plugs? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Like, I mean, I if 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 I like Rogaine or something like that wants to uh, support us, I'll shave my hair off and start using their products. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't even need to do that. Yeah, I'm, I, look, I will take anyone's coin. I've been I've been on record as saying that before. I'm anybody's for uh, for a bit of co-opting. Um, but uh, two groups of friends of ours uh, have podcasts that we want you to check out. Our great friends at Journey Through Gorilla Island mm-hmm. returned over the festive season. And let me tell you, uh, like you said, Lee, with a kind of bleak Christmas with COVID and with, you know, everything happening with Brody and everything like that, I think we all need a bit of escape through our wrestling at the moment. Mm-hmm. And heading back, talking some wacky PWG is uh, a great way to go about it. I think they're and, acro- and, and, and I was going to say I'll tell you what there's nothing like hearing your friends in your ears again yeah there? for sure I was saying this to Barry because um, my, my other podcast Link to the Cast I was recording with him recently more on that in a couple of minutes and uh, I was saying to him that it, it's actually great that so many of my buddies have podcasts because I haven't seen you in nine months now and just to actually get to hear you it's almost mm-hmm. like I'm hanging out with them so <laughs> you know shout out to to uh, Emma, Sarah, Zig and Barry over at Gorilla Island. We miss you dearly. Uh, everybody go check out their podcast. I think it's at Gorilla Island on Twitter. Lee, am I right? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrible with Twitter fucking handles these days. I'm just old. <laughs> You're an old, old wooden ship, my friend. Um, but I mentioned uh, my other podcast, which is uh, at Link to the Cast uh, as well. And if you like uh, my dulcet tones and Barry from Gorilla Island's dulcet tones, uh, ourselves and my co-hosts Mark and Jack did our Game of the Year coverage over the last few days. Uh, just about ten hours worth of arguing about. Uh, I think it's ten different categories we have in our awards this year. Uh, everything from Game of the Year all the way down to it's like a ham sandwich or the Band Keen Award for okayest game of the year. Um, so it's all in there, from good to bad, my friend. So we we're at link to the cast on Twitter. That much I do know. 
Um, and finally, we want to give a shout out to our one of our dearest friends of the show and a man who has been on the show before. And that is Jamesy, uh, who has started his new podcast, which is the Boots and Trunks podcast. He dropped episode zero there a couple of days ago as we were recording this. Um, and he's at Boots Trunks on Twitter. Um, it's going to be on the We Don't Know Wrestling podcast feed. So if you get subscribed to that, you'll get his episodes. And he's kind of doing, Lee, you know, a, a lot of us, as we kind of documented on the show, certainly fell out of love with current day wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. At some stage over 2020, we don't need to crack that back open again. But um, this podcast series from Jamesy is going to be uh, an attempt to get back to basics and to rediscover his love for professional wrestling, his kind of lifelong passion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, if you've never listened to Jamesy, I mean, I don't think anybody can break down a match quite like Jamesy can. No. And it will be essential listening, like he says on the show himself. It's you know, it's not going to be, um, routine releases. He's going to release a show when he feels passionate about something. Yeah, I think and he said he's targeting sixteen episodes this year. Yeah, and I mean, look, every time an episode comes out, you need to go listen to it because I yeah. definitely will be. Like I said, his his analysis is second to none, and I, you know, when you hear him on a podcast analyzing a match, you wonder how has this man not been doing podcasts for fifteen years? Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> it's incredible uh, because his his level of insight is is really second to none. Uh, and given the things that we know he's interested in from the the amount of chats that we've had with him over the years that I value even more now that we can't all get to <laughs> hang out with each other in hotel lobbies in Germany. Um, given the things he's interested in and the things, you know, I might suspect he will he will start having a look at. I am very, very excited for, for where this podcast mm-hmm. goes and the things he will kind of make me appreciate more. Uh, of the things I've seen and the stuff he will kind of expose listeners to that they maybe haven't seen. So yeah, Boots and Trunk, uh, boots Trunks on Twitter is where you need to go for that. But obviously, uh, as usual, when our good friends do podcasts, we, we will try and retweet and signal boost. So uh, yeah, do check it out. Uh, so that's the, the plug portion of proceedings over with, I think. Uh, shall we just get into it, pal? I think and we've put it, it off long enough, haven't we? <laughs> and by it, I mean our beverages. It's our... <laughs> It's our first Beers of Thunder of the year. Um, For those of you who are new to the show in 2021, just a quick reminder, um, about five episodes into this podcast, uh, if you haven't listened back that far yet, uh, WCW had already broken us. (laughs) And we figured that the only way to talk about this show is to pair it with uh, some adult beverages. Uh, And we've dabbled in beers, we've dabbled in spirits, and uh, every week we like to change it up a little, try something else, and uh, tell you, the dear Thunder buddy, what we think of it. Lee, to kick off 2021, what is your first beverage? I am kicking off 2021 in absolute style, let me tell you. I have a bottle of teeling black pits whiskey it is a peated single malt irish whiskey brewed here well not here in dublin because i'm not in dublin but in dublin in the liberty oh god i do <laughs> um in the liberties in dublin and oh let me tell you this is fucking delicious yeah uh i have had i, I think i've had a glass of that before at someone's house back in the day 
Um, it when is, you could go to other people's houses. When you could go to other people's houses and share glasses and the likes. <laughs> um, and I, I love, I'm a big fan of Teelings anyway. I think I've, I've mm-hmm. said it before on the show. And I, I was actually at a wedding reception in the distillery, uh, which I, I, I really want to go back when the, the world is back. I yeah. want to go back and do the tour because it's a really cool little building in the Liberties. Um, but yeah, that sounds good. Uh, and I was very jealous of your, both the black pits and your glasses as well, which are quite something. Which, which I am also using, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have, so I think both of us, I think that the secret is out now about what we need to get along on this show because uh, the two Christmases since we've started this show, we've both been bombarded with booze as presents. And and I mean, look, neither of us are complaining. Oh, look, all donations <laughs> greatly accepted, my friend. But um, so I have, I got a bunch of whiskey, which will be making uh, appearances in later weeks. And I just decided I'd, I'd try a new beer and an old reliable whiskey this week. But the problem was I got all the way up and then I remembered that I had put in my office, I'm not going to drink it this week, but one of the coolest things I got from Christmas from my partner, Emma, was uh, a series of uh, test tubes of whiskey tasters from all around the world. So in coming shows in 2021, I'm going to try one per episode. Uh, nice and give you the little bit there's a little book with it and everything that kind of talks about the uh, each drink and where it comes from and everything like that so i'm looking forward to that uh kind of raging i forgot but here i am i've got my uh, nika days japanese whiskey that's a kind of old reliable in the house and it's in one of the things i also got for christmas was uh, like one of those proper whiskey glasses with the the Mm -hmm. curved rim on them Uh, so you can get a good good sniff in there I also got uh, for my bigger glasses of whiskey. Um, I got um, what are they called? They're like, I don't think they're marble. They're like they're oh, the, the, the marble cubes that you yeah. use. They're not it's, made of yeah. marble, but it's the same concept where it's like it's it, it, they're it's you put them in this little felt bag, you mm-hmm. freeze them in the ice box, and it keeps your drink cool without diluting it. So yeah, I got I got a lot of accoutrement. This Christmas, I, I, I have the same gimmicks in my drinks as you speak. <laughs> oh, what a man! What a man! The beer I'm drinking, though, because I've you know I've explained the uh the, the Nika days before, so I'll just be sipping that away on the podcast. The uh beer I I got for this is one of the ones I got for Christmas as well, and it's from Hobgoblin, and it's the Ruby five point two percent ABV beer. Um, and it says on the back, I think legendary. This distinct ruby beer's sweet caramel and fruity aromas tease the taste buds. Brewed with smooth, rich chocolate and crystal malts with a blend of uh, Fuggles? <laughs> Styrian Golding Hops. Uh, expect a delicious full-body toffee flavour and a fruity finish. So that is saying a lot of words I like. But uh, as we've documented sometimes on the show, they some of these beers talk a big game. Uh, but do they deliver? Let's find out. <laughs> hmm. Right, I'm not getting toffee too much. I'm getting the fruity aftertaste. Right. Is it too fruity though? That's, no, that's no, it's always not. a problem for me. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely drinkable. It doesn't have too much of a an aftertaste. Um. I wouldn't, I'd kind of put it maybe a step behind my, my good friends, the Rebel Reds from okay. the Franciscan Well. But uh, a very nice, I, I bet it'd be very nice in the summer as well. Do you know where the kind of the fruity beverages are more uh, appropriate, seasonally yes. speaking? 
Um, but yeah, good stuff. All right, we've put it off long enough, Lee. Let's actually talk WCW. And, you know, it, it's not seasonally fitting because it's a Halloween show, but it feels good to come back to 2021 with a pay-per-view. That pay-per-view being one of the most famous in WCW history, uh, Halloween Havoc 1998, dated October 25th, 1998, coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, how had you felt the the build going into Halloween Havoc was for you Bef before you sat down like obviously I had filled you full of dread by telling you how many matches were on this show uh, and by telling you just how historically bad Hogan Warrior was going to be but like if you can separate yourself from that how are you feeling coming into the show I have to say because it's what I think we worked out nearly four weeks since we recorded <laughs> So it's well, it's it's yeah, it's about a month since I actually watched the last pay, uh, Thunder before yeah. the pay per view. So I was kind of like sitting down and like I say, I was kind of like, ah, oh, this is back to normal. It's nice, and then I realized this going Inferno has to wrestle twice, and they yeah. focus over on the Steiners match, and of course there's yeah. Hogan Warrior, and there's all this other stuff, and then I was like, ah, oh, balls! This fucking pay per view is three hours and fifteen minutes long. Yeah. Fucking hell. It was, I, I think by the top of the second hour, I was in trouble. And that was when I took my first break. And then it took me, I think, a couple of runs to watch the last three matches. Really? Yeah. I watched I, it in one go. Yeah. Like, I was gonna, but then I just started getting sleepy because I think it was like the accumulated... Look, I was having a few bevies while I was, uh, <laughs> while I was watching it. But the accumulated, like you said, with some of the kind of people doing double duty and baiting and switching on things i was kind of like oh it, it felt a lot for me with a couple of exceptions match wise that this was there was a good show hidden somewhere under here but it was just piled under wcw shite you're, you're taking my talking points oh sorry mate <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't a bad show yeah it, like I have to say, when we got to, I think it's the last three matches, there's, I want to say, only 55 minutes left on the show. Yeah, it's just under an hour, because I remember, um, I, I think Brett and Sting go to the ring at like two hours and five minutes. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, so this is probably going to go fairly quick. DDP, Goldberg only goes about 15 I think it's like 12 or something and then I was going okay Roy Hogan Warrior must go fucking forever but then Brett and Sting just kept going and going and I was like okay th th this is fine you know yeah kept going and going appropriate uh, terminology but it we, did we're but we'll get to that a couple of hours ahead <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but yeah no I genuinely maybe it was you know fucking Stockholm Syndrome I haven't been around you know I've missed it that much that I actually enjoyed the show absence makes the heart grow fonder the stuff i enjoyed i very much enjoyed and the stuff i didn't like like i said there was moments where wcw couldn't get out of its own way and let a good show happen mm -hmm. there was a lot of overbooking you know based on the fact that very famously the main event gets cut off the live pay-per-view feed tells you that they put too much on this show and having two different angles that involve somebody doing double duty mm -hmm. you know not necessary. I think there oh. were some very basic um errors in kind of logic and booking. 
like up and down the show that mm-hmm. I think it very much feels and like I don't think this is coming as a great fucking gallop and shock to anybody um, that whatever agents there were in this company don't seem to ever talk to one another so you end up with similar spots or similar things happening in back to back matches or you end up with something that uh, 18 ball shots yeah, or you end up with, like, a wrestler doing something that makes absolutely no sense for them, but they were just like, fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bitch about it or think about it too hard. I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll mention this now. The Nitro Girls appear on this show four times. Mm-hmm. Now, altogether, that's maybe, what, five minutes? Yeah. But when you consider that this company, or sorry, this pay-per-view cost WCW millions of dollars yeah in refunds yeah. because the show went long yeah I mean come it, on like, if really. you it, like you said if you cut out all their segments it wouldn't get you down under the three hours but it'd get you closer mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I, I mean but, but I think we have to start with like the, the show starts with uh, Rick Steiner promo we don't need a Rick Steiner promo to open the show no but let's let's rewind a little bit here and there was a, a very operatic video package uh, mm-hmm. to start us off here to introduce us to the show teasing our big matches i really didn't like the kind of blur effects that were going on here um now maybe you know lower resolution tvs in the 90s and all that it didn't look as blurry as it looks on my lovely big screen now in in 2021 but holy shit it just looked like do i need to wipe my glasses or something you know (laughs) i again i think we've said this on a lot of their packages it's of the time and it hasn't aged particularly well yeah um now i do think there are you know we will point out that at various stages on the show i think the commentary do a very good job of making it feel like a big show and mm-hmm. making things feel like they're important and when things are bad as we will talk about also later i think they at least do an able job trying to scramble and cover uh i think the three lads were were on form tonight for me yeah um, i'd say like i i didn't Again, I didn't take notice of a lot of what they were saying in that I don't have a ton of notes on them. But again, I don't have a ton of notes on them because they weren't saying anything over the top either. Yeah, it's kind of like um, the good referee thing. You know, in actual sports where they say the good referee is one you don't notice during a game. Mm -hmm. And like good commentary, like obviously there's iconic lines of commentary and things like that. But, you know, your base level good commentary, you don't really notice because they're just doing a good job... uh, filling in details you know mm-hmm. um not enough for you necessarily to go oh holy shit you know that was an iconic stone cold stone cold stone cold moment but also not you know the kind of shite we're, we're used to in a lot of companies nowadays um yeah good job from the lads tonight um what wasn't necessarily great for me was kicking off the show uh, with Brain repeatedly trying to insert the fact that Hogan has a dead brother as much as possible into the opening of this show. It's like, hey, welcome to the pay-per-view. Hogan's brother died. <laughs> it's like, Jesus <laughs> wept. You know? I think Bobby is trying to employ that Hogan killed him. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Bobby and Hogan, yeah. There's, yeah. Um, I will say, uh, our friend Brain, an incredible ensemble he had here. His orange shirt and pocket square with black jacket. And then he pulls out the, the gold mask. 
Yep. <laughs> and is waiting, dying to get Tony's attention. Yeah. Incredible <laughs> stuff. Uh, even if it goes a bit eyes wide shut there. Uh, <laughs> At the end. Yeah, he tries everything he can to get Tony's attention, but Tony finally turns around and just completely no-sells him. Uh, it's good stuff. But again, the camera pans away and there's dead air for, I want to say, a good four seconds. Yeah, there's dead air. <laughs> and then Tony tries to throw to Penzer, but forgot that it's actually the Nitro Girls first. Um, so yeah, we get Nitro Girls segment number one. They promise us Penzer after the Nitro Girls, once the Nitro Girls start, but it's actually Gene. <laughs> and he's here with, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, Lee, uh, Rick Steiner. And Rick Steiner has some things to say. Um, Gene says to him that like this match, Rick versus Scott, hasn't got off the ground in the past and he wants his thoughts. Uh, Rick just kind of runs down Scott, says like it isn't brother versus brother tonight. Scott is just another opponent. Um, and Lee, the only other thing I wrote down for this is the incredible moment where Buff walks out in a FUBU baseball shirt. <laughs> is, is this our first instance of FUBU on the show? I don't... I'm not sure. I think I think um, maybe Nash has wore a FUBU shirt at one stage. Nash definitely wears them at some stage. I can't remember if we've seen him on the show wear them or like just stuff that kind of is reminiscent of it. Mm. But... Um, this FUBU baseball shirt is one of the many iconic looks on this show. Yeah, um, it's something else, and um, and, and we have is... to say like it, it's Bagwell Sands NWO gear. Yeah, this is Buff doing the hard sell that he's away from the NWO now. And what did Buff have to say for himself, Lee? Um, I think he basically just says he's gone from the NWO and he wants to be in Rick's corner, and he then does his piss take. Ro- 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 and yeah. runs around like a fucking moron, which instantly in my head I'm gone. But he's obviously taking the piss here. Yeah. But it, somehow, it, but somehow Rick trusts him. Yeah. It really Rick is uh, starting to fall into. Remember there was the trope of uh, Becky Lynch being the dumbest baby face in the world mm-hmm. because she kept trusting people who turned their back on her. Um. Yeah. It, very much that dumb baby face here. Um. But we will get to that later. Our opening contest. Raven versus Jericho, my friend. Little this treat. was unexpected. Yeah. Little treat for us. Um, Raven gets in the ring and says he's been on a losing streak lately. He woke up at 11 this morning to find he had been <laughs> scheduled in an unscheduled match. <laughs> so, like, the fact you're waking up at 11 in the morning on show day, probably part of the, the losing streak. Um, I, th- I think he said he went to bed at, like, 5 or something. Yeah, I think getting that was scheduled in an unscheduled match was a great phrase for me. And he said uh, he doesn't want to wrestle tonight, so he just bails. Did you uh, catch what Tony then says? What did Tony say? Tony says he has to do this on the fly. That's the rule of thumb around here. And <laughs> I just went, oof, Tony taking shots at Bischoff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not wrong, is he? I mean, but there you go. Like This is um, October 98 and we're getting yeah. on-air shots at the fact that they're booking everything on the fly. Yeah. But there's so many occasions, uh, even so far, and there's a couple more tonight where the commentators just kind of shrug and go, oh, we don't know what's going on. You know, I, there's a, I, I don't know if I wrote it down in my notes, but there's a moment on the show where Tony just goes, well, this isn't our running order, but I guess we're just doing this now. <laughs> Sassy Tony Schiavone, I tell you. It's great. Tony doesn't like being kept out of the loop. I always think of how, um, you know, 
they used to say about JR and King over in WWF that JR wanted to know everything that was going to happen mm-hmm. on the show so he could think about it and he could research things to say and think about like what his hooks on commentary were going to be. Whereas Lawler didn't want to know fucking Anton. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Tony very much crosses me as a Jim Ross. Like he wants that yeah. and sheet. He wants everything on it. And he is like, and I think his, his AEW run vindicates this, that he is a consummate professional in spite of what I think people's misapprehensions of him mm-hmm. in the last couple of years at WCWR. Like, it wasn't a man who'd given up on wrestling as much as given up on this particular company and who could blame him. Yeah. Um, But Jericho, uh, who's in the ring also, says he doesn't want to be here either, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but the Jericho-holics want to see him. He calls the flock a big bunch of losers and <laughs> said that he could whip Raven's butt in about two minutes. This enrages Raven and he storms in uh, and we have our match. I tell you what, Chris Jericho getting babyface pops here. This is weird because this is like nominally a heel versus heel encounter. And Jericho, without necessarily going out and out face, is the face here. Mm -hmm. I I tell you, it shows that that his character is getting over. Yeah, people are into it. Um, one match in and one man attacked while still wearing his jacket. Good I knew stuff. I knew you'd mention it. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Raven rallies then and starts beating on Jericho outside. Uh, he uses the steps to do a step up drop kick to Jericho, which to me would have hurt Raven more. Uh, but I love as he bounces back towards the camera, Jericho just goes, Help me. <laughs> I tell you what, never has a man got his character as much as Chris Jericho at this stage. Yeah, I love a guy who will say stuff like that, like kind of under his breath as he's passing the camera. I used to love when Punk would do that in in WWE when he didn't give a shit about things. Like, was it a like was it John Morrison who like hit him a bit too snug and he just goes, "Wow, that hurt." <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, there's a there's a great. I think it's I think it's John Morrison. I think it was when he was in ECW, um, but I could be wrong. Uh, back in the ring, uh, and Raven begins showboating now, which gives Jericho enough time to recover, reverse a whip, and hang Raven up on the ropes. Uh, Jericho runs off the apron, and Raven sidesteps him, leading Jericho to legit eat shit on the rails. Like we talk oh. about how a guy will crash and burn and eat shit on this show, but this was he his face became part of the railing. Yeah, his fucking head nearly went through the gaps in the guardrails. It was fucking... Like, I was sitting on the couch watching it and Connor was kind of, like, playing beside me. And I was just mad. I literally fucking jumped. I was like, oh! And he's like, yeah. what? <laughs> there, it reminded me... Because I was watching... This is... We were recording this the, the day after Wrestle Kingdom. And it reminded me very much of that uh, Naito Ibushi match on night one where they do the Hurricane Rana spot off the apron. Mm-hmm. And... Naito is supposed to be selling one leg, but if you watch the other leg, the other leg get, gets nasty tangled yeah. up in the fence. And that just kind of reminded me of that, where it's like, he wanted to make it look good, but may have actually God, fucked himself yeah. up in the process. Yeah, he wanted to really hold the other leg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back and forth, back into the ring, Jericho exposes the turnbuckle. They do a couple of spots teasing the, uh, the the use of the exposed turnbuckle uh, before Raven power bombs Jericho and slingshots him into it, then hitting a clothesline for a two count. Uh, Raven, what the, the crowd bought that nearfall? They did. Uh, Raven ducks a kick, hits a belly to belly suplex, tries a a German. One of my favorite reversals in wrestling is the German forward roll into the lion tamer attempt. Uh, Raven scrambles 
desperately to the ropes uh, in perhaps my favourite brain call of the night uh, as he crawls and gets the ropes brain screams the longest six inches of his life uh, okay okay <laughs> uh, this was cool. Uh, after this kick out, Raven reverses an Irish whip attempt and hits an even flow. Like as much as you can oh. hit an even flow out of nowhere. And the crowd bought that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, kick out. Jericho with a roll up then for two. Then he low blows Raven. That's one. <laughs> the nice. Not the last. Uh, bridging German suplex that looked lovely for two. Uh, Canyon is out now, but Jericho bumps into him. Uh, this works to Jericho's advantage and he locks in the tamer and Raven taps with Canyon presumably uh, falling to his doom on the outside Uh, what I love about this uh, as well as Jericho winning is Jericho doing what I assume are 80s movie freeze frame jumps in celebration (laughs) where he like kicks up both legs and be like yeah I always think of family going yeah (laughs) because they make that exact sound yeah so like what do you think of this match, Lee? Because I thought like there was some sloppiness to it for sure, but I thought it was a really good and heated opener. And we've been saying this for a couple of pay-per-views now where you need to start a pay-per-view with a match like this that people are into. I thought this was a great way to open the show, honestly, for like what was a cold match coming in. Yeah. Like these two, there's obvious crowd investment there after you watch this. Um, I thought the story they told with, with Raven is fucking great. Like, he's on a losing streak. He doesn't want to wrestle. Mm-hmm. doesn't want to be here. He gets drawn into, you know, fighting this battle that he doesn't want. His best shot can't get it done. Yeah. He's frustrated. His friend comes out to help him and only makes things worse. Mm. And the commentary, I'd say, the commentary I did notice like this, they really played up that Raven was a guy that would suffer through pain with a smile on his face. Yeah. And now he gets locked in submission moves and taps out instantly. Yeah. They're really wondering, like, what's that about? Like, there's something off. There's something going on with Raven. This isn't Raven that was US champ three months ago. This is a totally different person. And and thus, kind of, the long, sprawling saga of Mm -hmm. of Raven remains one of the more interesting things in the company consistently. Yeah. Um... Like I said, it was a bit sloppy, but, you know, both men have that sloppiness in their locker. But I think we've both said on the show before that, like, a reasonable bit of sloppiness where everything is still safe makes it look better in some ways. Yeah, I think it works to their advantage in this match, particularly, like, that that spin kick that Jericho throws, where Raven is kind of half-ducked already and then hits that, like, fucking... It's not a nice-looking belly-to-belly suplex. But again, in the context of the match and the two people in it, it works. Right, next up, uh, Hogan and Eric Bischoff's goatee are here. And this was a <laughs> night for goatees, my friend. Um, Hogan declares that he beats everybody in this company simply because he loves this man so much, pointing to Bischoff. Uh, Bischoff says that Hogan represents the millennium when it comes to family values and then starts roaring laughing much as I did at the very suggestion that Hogan is representative of family values but I guess the millennium's interpretation of family values maybe uh, Hogan said he could be long-winded and deliver the Gettysburg Address which Lee I don't know if you're a history buff but the Gettysburg Address is famous for being quite short this is like of all the speeches he could have pulled out of his head to talk about being long long winded. That's probably not the one to go with. But I think he I think he meant to say pull a filibuster. 
Yeah, I and even then it would have been way off. But that's that's the Hulkster for you, baby. Um, but uh, the 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 NWOites in the crowd love him. Uh, he said that he had to sacrifice Horace because he wasn't ready to be NWO yet. He's also going to leave the Warrior laying tonight. Uh, honestly, Lee, bog standard Hogan promo here. I I wasn't particularly enamored with it. I tell you what, did we really need this on the show? No, it's uh, yeah another one of the did we really need this? But because it's Hogan, he's not getting cut for time, baby. Obviously, they told him he wasn't getting, you know, twenty five minutes in the match, so he insisted on having a promo. Yeah, and it was bad. Like again, the the only fun part was just the where he flexes like a big dumb guy at the end. But I I don't think it was funny in the way he intended it to be. Uh, but that's fine by me. Uh, speaking of things that we didn't necessarily need to have a, on a pay-per-view, Lee. Meng versus Wrath. Wrath? Wrath. <laughs> I, sa- I definitely said Wrath. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like you went to all East London there. You went Wrath. Wrath. Wrath, <laughs> mate. It's like a shack on this call. It's <laughs> <laughs> dire, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Rat you I... slag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you don't remember um you you never watched IWW did you when it was big over here? No, I didn't. Uh there was a, a wrestler he was the head trainer in the the school for a while, Darren Burridge, Baxter Burridge. Right. And he just called everyone you slag. <laughs> you slag. <laughs> and now all I want is him calling Rat a slag. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in, in a gal hall and fucking mead somewhere. Uh, uh, Raf is aggressive <laughs> early on in this match, uh, hitting Meng, uh, inclu- including hitting a cannonball senton off the apron. Oh, did, did, I tell you what, that's what confused me so much, and it's not because of the move happening in the match. Um, again, Connor was with me when I watched the pay per view. And he said, oh, did you see that? And I said, no. I was kind of taking notes. And I said, no, what happened? Rat did a move like Stan Hansen. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he said he did Stan Hansen's move. And I said, hang on, which Stan Hansen move? He goes, remember the one he did against Andre? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out I'd watched a, a Stan Hansen and Andre the Giant match from all Japan, like in fucking 79 or 80. And Stan Hansen had done a cannonball off the apron. And the little fucking lunatic that lives with me remembered. <laughs> Crazy. And I was just like, yeah, that's not what I'd call a Stan Hansen move. <laughs> that guy's going to end up doing like his his uh, his his leave insert history project on like world class or something like that. Ter- ter- Terry Funk in Florida in 1976. <laughs> <laughs> I would read that report and I would give it 100%, my friend. Um... I, you know, every time I see Meng, I think, you know, people have a lot of respect for what a tough guy he is and a seasoned vet and all this. But my God, if I'm a wrestler and I go to look at the run sheet for the night and I see I'm wrestling Meng, I am not happy about it. Like, between, like, his expressionless no-selling so that your shit looks terrible against mm-hmm. him uh, and the fact that when he hits you, he fucking hits you. Yep. It must just be a bad night at the office every night wrestling that guy. Um, I, I have to say that the highlight of the match for me is um, Ming at one stage slips out of the meltdown. Yeah. 
and he big boots rat into the face or the side of the head and Tony calls it the kick of fear yeah and I'm like yeah fucking right I'd be fearful of that kick you're damn right you would <laughs> uh, a couple of highlights for me uh, include nothing to do with the uh the actual wrestling in the ring, but Tony mentions that um, among the sports stars in attendance tonight is Jason Giambi of the Oakland A's, uh, which I'm not and a baseball guy, but I am a fan of the movie Moneyball. Moneyball, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did <laughs> say exactly. Completely piqued my interest and kind of made me wish I was watching Moneyball again instead of watching this. It's a great film. I think I've watched that film. Like, I've, I've seen it about fucking five times even before, but yeah. I must have watched it on Netflix about ten times at this stage. It's one of those movies that, I, like, it fits into this bizarre even though it's it's technically like a serious drama it's a very very rewatchable movie that mm-hmm. i would happily watch on a plane or you know when i'm just can't think of anything to watch another one of those that i i used to love rewatching was the big short god yes, such I've a rewatchable it. film again i've watched that movie so many times on netflix it's one that i'm like yeah. i don't know in the mood to want to watch yeah oh, fuck i'll put on the big short or i'll put on moneyball yeah Hit us actually at WCW Thunderpod with your most rewatchable movies. Um, I feel like now we're all kind of globally heading back into a bit of lockdown. That this is a bit of content people would need. Uh, recommendations for just a really easy rewatch of movie or the kind of movie where, if you're you know uh, flicking through the TV to see what's on and you happen upon this movie. You're like 20, in. 20, 20 minutes in and you're like I'll leave it on for a few minutes and then you end up watching the whole thing yeah I listened to a ringer podcast called the rewatchables which is about exactly that and I, I always remember the, the guy who hosted uh, Bill Simmons uh, talking about how if you uh, are turning through the TV and you happen upon the Shawshank Redemption and it's somewhere around the last hour of that movie that's it you're in oh yeah yeah that's it yeah done so uh, yeah, after BCW Thunderpod with your favorite uh, kind of switch off the brain, uh, rewatch over and over again movies. Uh, bonus points if they include Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Rat is hitting Meng with everything, but Meng is being Meng. He one of the times he goes for the meltdown, Meng drops and does a really awkward roll away from it. Uh, when Meng is on the offense, it's just oh. Like the whole the whole match, which is a snooze, as we said, is uh, built around whether Wrath could hit the meltdown. And spoilers, he does, uh, and it's very awkward. Yeah, like I they they tried to sell it as impressive. Yeah, but all my thinking was was that looked fucking ugly. <laughs> he definitely dead weighted him on us. It's for sure. That man does not go up. <laughs> I have to say, at the end of the match, after he gets his hand raised, all I could think was. God, I can't wait for Nash to beat this fucking guy. Yeah. I, I, do you know what's really funny is that, like, I, I, I was thinking about Meng in the context of, um, you know, we talked about Jim Ross earlier. But, you know, Jim Ross used to have his codes, like bowling shoe ugly and things like that. Mm-hmm. This would definitely, Meng would definitely be a guy that Jim Ross would describe as not, not easily leaving his feet. Because this is a guy who <laughs> kind of, you know, not quite the levels of that incredible, uh, giant match that we talked about. <laughs> Um, from Nitro a while back but um, definitely a guy who bumps are a premium for him that's for sure um, but yeah he somehow it, it, uh, gets pinned by the melt an awkward meltdown of this the internet location is up next uh, Stagger Lee is interviewing Kidman um, and there are some apps I don't know what was going on at the bottom of the screen during this Lee 
there's like some absolutely bananas logos uh, going on at the bottom of the screen that looks like uh, like a Frankenstein and an Abe Lincoln stovepipe hat. I, I, what the fuck was going on here? I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> oh, it's weird as shit, man. 1998. It's like, well, what are the graphics we have that came with the software? Fucking bung it in somewhere. Uh, Kidman acknowledges his history with both of his potential challengers tonight. Speaking of his potential challengers, we have Disco versus Hoovy to determine the number one contender for the Cruiserweight title later tonight. Um, I was already enjoying this. You know, we'll rip the band-aid off now. This was maybe Disco's best night in the time we've been covering this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank God it was because we had to watch him twice. If he was having a bad night, it might have set me over the edge. Um, but I did appreciate, this is my first thing I loved about this, the use of the pumpkin instead of the disco ball in his entrance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was very much appreciated. Uh, Brain is baffled to a borderline racist extent about Mexico City being technically called the Federal District of Mexico. Uh, Tanay absolutely appalled by him not understanding this, and Tony urgently tries to move on before anything regrettable is said. I, I think, like, in modern times, Shivani would have just been like, Mike, he's trolling you, just leave it. Yeah. Um... Back and forth start, and it looks pretty good. The, there's some good shit going on in the ring. My only criticism uh, of the early stages of this match, Lee, is a kind of it's a small logic thing. It's a real kind of pedants thing. But if it's a number one contenders match where the second match is later on, I want a match starting off with guys trying to put each other away straight mm-hmm. away. So I either want big moves happening straight away or I want that kind of like roll up one, roll up one. Yeah, rap, kind of rapid thing. fire pins, yeah. Give us the sense of urgency that you're trying to conserve as much of your energy as possible for later on, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you can get into your kind of slower stuff or or, or stuff or, or things like that. Um Disco slides out to avoid Hoovy, but he eats a cross body block. Hoovy goes for the Hoovy driver but is reversed into reverse DDT position, and then Hoovy does the same. Disco does a cool running neck breaker at this point, and that was the thing I was thinking of uh, during this. There's a couple of really cool swinging neck breakers hit by uh, Alex Wright later and Disco uh, in both his matches, and I'm like, that is a move that doesn't get uh, its due anymore, Lee. It's one of those... No, um, see, everybody does sling blades now, so they don't do a, a swinging neck breaker. Ah, oh, like a good swing and neck breaker looks great, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, and again, it comes back to, like we said, the Russian leg sweep. Nobody does that yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's just disappointing. It's one of those basic spots that when it's executed very well, looks great. Um, so Disco tries a giant swing, but he gets so dizzy that he uh, stops and falls onto Hoovy's crotch. Uh, the worst part of this is that, that it took you know like... What? That, that's the most 1998 move. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it only took him, like, two revolutions and the big swing to get so dizzy he fell over and crotched him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoovy gets his foot on the ropes. Disco up top. He gets crotched. Hurricane Rana. Hoovy gets up at the opposite post for a spinning wheel kick and a two count. A wheelbarrow into Bulldog from Hoovy. Hoovy then leaps up into the electric chair position. But Disco, being the smart man, just lets him down, boots him in the gut, pile driver for the win and i will say that uh disco's pile driver definitely looks a lot better than his chart buster so uh i'm i'm happy for that to be his finish mm-hmm. i have to say it's a really good looking pile driver to be yeah. fair to him mm. 
um, Nitro Girls segment number two. And at this point, already the commentary is just talking over them. <laughs> and there's still plenty more Nitro Girls to go. Uh, and they plug something that I'm sad was edited out of the show. Uh, Conan's new music video. Yeah, what what happened there? Uh, I, I think it's a thing where I'm, I'm going to look it up so that we can watch it. Uh, not right now, but uh, I, I was kind of... I had forgotten that they never showed it until I was going over my notes before we started here tonight. And now I feel like I've been robbed. Kind of like when we were going to get to see Roddy Piper behind the scenes on Walker, Texas Ranger. It's it's another bait and switch. I have to say, I know in spring 99, yeah. there's a feud between Disco Inferno and Conan over a new Conan music video. So, oh, so it won't be the last. He's prolific in late 98 and early 99 for his new music videos a notable artist uh this is the point at which tony says where are we now on the show as white thunder himself scott steiner comes out um he says (laughs) (laughs) nope he says he's been going 30 days and 30 nights with a freak on his left on his right and one in a box which (laughs) that was a little off piste there uh, so he's in town and he's ready to pound <laughs> yeah that's yeah yeah so there you are well, so we've again, gone from bang town on thunder to pound town this week again it's fucking very 1998 yeah. and look if there was a city that you would say okay that's appropriate for somebody to refer to in a promo as pound town Las Vegas is up there yeah, but I don't want it on my fucking wrestling no, show. No, I don't want it to refer to that as all, Lee. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, it's it's one of the... Like, if he was just in, like, Kenosha, Wisconsin, I'd be like, what? What is... What? Pound Town. But anyway... Now I want him to do it in, like, Salt Lake City or something. Yeah. I'm sure he will. Like, there's, he does this thing, like with White Thunder, where periodically he comes up with something that he thinks would be cool. He tries it for about three weeks and then drops it. So uh, we might get uh, Pound Town uh, coming back. Woe betide us. Uh, he challenges Rick tonight to tag up with Buff uh, to take on him and the Giant for the tag titles because apparently the NWO just do what they want. Um... Were you shocked to learn that the NWO uh, and specifically the Giant still held the tag team titles? Oh no, no. I was not shocked. I was fucking disgusted. (laughs) (laughs) When you said that to me on the last Thunder, that there was a tag title match, I I was just like, how fucking dead has the tag team division been in 1998? Look, I I have some thoughts on it later when we get to the actual match, but uh, yeah fucking just absolutely ridiculous uh jj dylan skulks out behind them wanting to know if he heard them right and that they'll be putting the belts on the line he says if they lose the belts if they somehow manage to lose the belts would scott would scott accept fighting rick for 15 minutes after that uh and he kind of baits them in and then jj confirms the match and the stip for later on then the match that I know Lee Malone and Alan Forel were both looking forward to. Finley versus Alex Wright with the dignity of Europe on the line. This was... <laughs> I'm not saying anything because I don't have any fucking notes on this. This was... <laughs> boring as fuck. 
I, I will have you know that Finley is a fucking world class wrestler. Yeah, apparently. Uh, that's what yeah. people tell me. Um, I mean, fucking pay per view, like what the fuck. <laughs> So this match, as we remember, was only put together on the Go Home Thunder for reasons. Um, and it's funny that, like, in Alex's quest to become the greatest wrestler in Europe, the most intriguing part of this whole story just gets mentioned incidentally on commentary as they're coming to the ring, where uh, Tanae goes, oh yeah, like, I've been looking into it. And it turns out Alex Wright's dad's career was ended by Finley. And I was just like, how was that not the whole plot of this match? That that is like an incredibly dramatic thing to reveal, you know, and would explain his vendetta against other European wrestlers that perhaps he's like <laughs> avenging the sins of his father or or some shit like that. But no, it's me- just like here's a match. Again, I know I've mentioned this before, but now I just imagine uh, Alex Wright as um, Sideshow Bob's kid. In the oh, Simpsons. vendetta, vendetta! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> going after Finley. Uh, slow technical wrestling in this match which was either a uh, like either a complete misread of what the crowd wanted tonight or it's the intentional piss break match for the night uh, right... I think they were fucking stalling for time on the show yeah. at this stage which is brilliant considering they ended up running out of time massively like this is perhaps the single biggest why was this on the show but anyway like you you look at this run of matches oh I don't show. want to <laughs> you have Ratman. Disco Hoovy, Finley Alex, and then the next match. Yeah. And it's like, why? Yeah. Not that we're disgusted to see all of the people you've mentioned, or the people we mentioned in the next match, no. but why now? Like, surely they could have had Disco Hoovy on either, like, the Saturday night before the pay-per-view, the Thunder before the pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, the fucking, the pre-show, I'm pretty sure they had, like, half-hour pre-shows on the pay-per-view channel same way WWF did like we don't need Finley Alex Roy having a fucking technical wrestling match on pay-per-view nope uh, Wright goes up top and absolutely crashes and burns on a dropkick attempt it really looked like it sucked uh, Finley charges into turnbuckle Wright dodges hits a neckbreaker and win I wrote this was the kind of crappy finish um, because I feel like the story was supposed to be well, going into the match. The story was supposed to be, uh, technical wrestler being Finley makes one mistake in the match and loses. Because we had you know a couple of moments where Finley nearly made a mistake, and Alex Wright was making mistakes, and Finley was capitalizing on them. So the story, the, the plot of the match seemed to be, Finley makes one mistake, and that's all it took, and Alex Wright beat him. But that would have made sense had Wright not made a much bigger mistake by dying on his arse five seconds previously off that dropkick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it completely deflated the the point of the finish for me. Uh, I, I don't know about you. Uh, like you said, you That's, have no notes written. Listen, fucking great Finley psychology. I mean, he's a world-class wrestler. Flawless, as always. Uh, speaking of flawless, the cat is in the internet location and Lee Marshall is absolutely incensed that the cat calls himself the real deal and the greatest. And he's like, he keeps trying to get him like, you know, who calls himself the greatest, you know, who calls himself the real deal. And uh, Ernest is just like, and he's like, he's proper calling him Ernest as well, like a stern mother given out to his bowel child. <laughs> um, and, you know, Ernest is completely ignoring him. And 
here's the thing, Lisa. This is the first time he acknowledges on shows we've covered that he keeps beating up fans. Like we yeah, saw him what, beat what? up a fan. And he says here these, I think, 5-0 and o against yeah, fans. Yeah, he, he says he's like 5-0 and o against fans and starts to laugh. And then I'm kind of yeah. going, are, are we now acknowledging this? <laughs> yeah. Lee, to me, so this is obviously, like you said, you suspected something was up immediately when we saw it happen on the show the other week. Uh, is it just me or does it feel like a real dumb guy bit to be saying that he will willingly fight fans? Seeing yep. as, you know, not... The, the great and intelligent Thunderbullies that listen to this fine programme. But, you know, there are some real dumb wrestling fans out there. We've seen many of them hit the ring. In fact, on a Pick Your Poison, we talked about one of the most famous occasions where somebody tries to jump Eddie Guerrero mm-hmm. and it goes poorly. Uh, it would seem to me like something you shouldn't do. Like, I, I get antag- encourage. antagonize yeah. fans all day long. You know, great heels do that all the time. But, like, dropping all pretense and declaring an undefeated streak against fans seems like a real dumb guy bit. And considering the history we have with this company in particular and their stellar security. Yeah. And how quick they are to react. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not the cleverest thing in the world, is it? No. Next up, we have Saturn versus a man who claims to be from anywhere but Las Vegas, Lodi. Loved that line. Love that he. Look at that he, he gets. What a pro. Saturn's outfit, Lee. Next level shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is... I, 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 think, I think you said it best. <laughs> when you said he was looking for something... In the Perry Daddy line. <laughs> yeah, it is very much that episode of Arrested Development. I'm looking for something that says, Perry likes leather. You mean, Leather Perry? <laughs> oh, there is such a thing? Yeah. Exactly. That's it. I put up the uh, the comparison, the, the shot by shot of him and then Tobias in the leather gear sitting down with maybe and George Michael. And I couldn't get it out of my head. So he's got like his, his military style beret to nod to his he, what was it was he a navy seal or a marine an army ranger how could army, you forget i keep forgetting that he was an army ranger so he's got his cap and then he's got this like leather chainmail sleeveless jacket thing going on and it's then he's a, got his brand new lovely long long boy tights yeah it's, with his little saturn planet on the front the saturn logo is about the only bit where i was like okay that's cool but mm-hmm. oh my a look, my friends. Well, well, listen, you have to remember. Scott Steiner is backstage and he looked at this entrance and went, I like it. Chainmail, you say? <laughs> that That's what you need to take away from this. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was it was something else. Uh, this wasn't a long one, funnily enough. Saturn beats the shite out of Lodi. Lodi tries to bail out. Saturn's having none of it. Goes, gets him back in. Dumps him with a few suplex, Death Valley driver, and a win. A completely unnecessary match, but I'm glad it was kept short. Yeah, again, this, this match and the matches that preceded it cost this company millions of dollars. Yeah, <laughs> just keep hitting that one home, buddy. It, 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 it just get The longer we go into this show, I'm just like, my God, the amount of waste. But listen, Saturn hit an incredible looking leg sweep on Lodi, and it looked like a fucking suck to take. Yeah, yeah. God bless <laughs> that I- man. <laughs> I fucking I squealed when I saw it. I was yeah. just like that is fucking phenomenal. Mm. 
Next up, we get hype for Steiner Civil War as Brain desires uh, for this family to tear each other limb from limb. We get a flashback to Buff making the save for Rick and tearing his NWO shirt off. Nitro Girl segment number three. And then we're into the Cruiserweight Championship match. Disco versus Kidman. Uh, Tony putting over the short break between matches for Disco as kind of showing his fighting spirit here. Back and forth at a pretty quick pace till Disco hits a drop toe hold onto the bottom rope for heat. Um, I really love, you know, in case you were under the misapprehension based on the, oh, isn't it great that he's, you know, fighting on through two matches. Just in case you'd forgotten that uh, Disco's supposed to be the heel. He starts trash talking Kidman or he's like, Kidman, turn mm-hmm. the music down. Yes, bomb. So I love Awful. That. Absolutely awful. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's um, it's what, weird what, because what? like he's he's jaw jacking and doing stuff like that, but definitely with the crowd reception and the positioning of him doing two matches in one night, he's very much mm-hmm. getting some baby face fire in here. Yeah, the, like the the booking, as you alluded to, is very confused on this night. Yeah, like the last person we saw do double duty was Saturn. Yeah, and right, as, right as yeah, right as he was starting to to peak. Yeah, um, as like a a, a coming baby face. Yeah, um. But what did you think? Um, I think it's Tanay that mentions here. Kidman is only 24. It's shocking, isn't it? Like, the guy was all but retired by, what, 2006? Yeah. And he's still very young. Like, it's... And it's, I was just like, I was listening going, my God. Like, the guy retired in his mid-30s and he was yeah. still good. Yeah. But then, the, the ones that really blew me away, Hoovy and Ray were both 23. Yeah. And Ray is still wrestling. I like unsurprising. Well, and I he's mean, had an fucking... eye removed. <laughs> is he still wearing that patch? I don't fucking know, mate. I haven't watched that shite in a long time. <laughs> um But like these three guys alone, this company should have been set up for fucking a decade. Yeah. It's like when you look at all those guys that are like between 22 and 26-ish in AEW now and you're like, they are set for years if they handle this right. Mm-hmm. Well, it just goes to show that you can handle that abundance of talent very, very wrong as well. Um, and I mean, I think I think um, Tanae even mentions it. Or, no, I think it's Tony that mentions it during the Hoovy match. Like, Hoovy has only improved since losing his mask. Well, we said it as well. Like, when we watched his early matches on Thunder, we were like, Jesus, this is so, like, sloppy Rough, to the point of yeah. matches falling apart. And he mm-hmm. needed to be with the right person, usually, like, Psychosis or something. Like, someone who was a good base when he was uh, not on target with some of his dives, etc. But, yeah, now, like, when Hoovy's on the card, I get excited. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, have to be against a particular person. I, I just think he's going to have a good match, um, regardless, nearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah a hell of an improvement across the time we've been doing this um, so Kidman <clears throat> sorry Kidman builds up a, a head of steam uh, but gets low bridge to the outside uh, Disco gets Kidman back in and in a rest hold where Brain immediately puts over the, the logic of that saying it's a smart way to get your win back it's a second match yada 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 
Brief fire from Kidman again with a rebound clothesline before being cut off. Uh, Disco is getting portrayed in this match, Lee, as the smarter wrestler because he's constantly mm -hmm. like a move ahead of Kidman. And I really like that because we don't want to lose sight of the fact that Kidman, you know, he's new to this kind of singles babyface champion run. So I always like the, the kind of more senior wrestler being a step ahead story in a match. Yeah, I mean, it makes the most sense for, for this kind of layout, this match. Hmm. Uh, the key illustrative moment of him being a step ahead is when he reverses the powerbomb reversal. So he goes to reverse Kidman. Kidman goes to do his face buster and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Disco just reverses it. He's like, ah, he has him scouted. I then, tell you what, it's a fucking great looking spot though, isn't it? Reversing yeah. it into the, the backdrop um, suplex. Yeah. And then he hits him with a pile driver for two. Uh, Kidman attempts an acid drop, reversed into a back suplex as well. Uh, and that was cool. Like, he really dumped him over on that one. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed, uh, as he was kind of celebrating his own intelligence, uh, I think it was Brain had the line of the night uh, where he said, oh, one Macarena a night is enough from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Disco then goes for another powerbomb, but this time Kidman does hit the bus, uh, face buster because Disco got greedy, and then he hits the shooting star press to retain. Uh, like we said in the first match, Lee, this was Disco's best night since we've been covering him on the program, and this was another good match. Yeah, like, again, like what this is match six of the show. I mean, we've had Raven, we've had the, the earlier Disco Hoovy match, and we've had this match. Like, this is... like three good matches on the show so far and the, the Saturn squash which is always good yeah. so I mean like four from six it's, I mean it's not bad for yeah. our first half of a show next up we have the return from the wilderness of the tag team titles as Scott and Giant henceforth referred to as Giant Papa Pump take on the team of Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell henceforth referred to as the Dog Face Daddies <sighs> No, <laughs> I'm not referring to them as that. You are. 100% you are. The dog face daddies. <laughs> Don't Google that, lads. <laughs> so what do we call it when... Do you know what? I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This isn't going to be my last one of those. So it is for tonight, but just in general. <laughs> I mean, look, it's no team beefy that. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Look, just be aware wrestling companies uh, from 22 years ago that if you don't have an official tag team name I'm making one because I don't like writing both names too much on my notes no instead you're going to write down giant papa pump and dog face daddy yeah daddies daddies sorry yeah because they're both dog face daddies get with the get with the program uh, okay <laughs> I'll be in the um yeah, I'll leave it to you. Grant. Uh, Giant, <laughs> Giant and Scott start cutting off Rick from Buff, uh, which of course will draw suspicion because Buff isn't getting involved. Uh, Giant outside with Rick and Buff performs a shove to the Giant. My God, maybe he is on Rick's side. Showing uh, his loyalty there, isn't he? Yeah, a couple of minutes pass, back in the ring. Buff finally gets in, and just as we get a tease of some double teaming from the dog face daddies, Buff kicks Rick. Double teaming from the dog face daddies. <laughs> Listen to yourself. <laughs> uh, 
love this show, my friend. <laughs> but what a shock, Lee, as Buff turns on his dog face daddy partner <laughs> and kicks him. Uh, was there even a single moment tonight where you thought this wasn't going to happen? No. That's all I can say. Yeah. No. Uh, my as God. soon as you told me this match was happening, <laughs> yeah, I knew what was happening. As soon as we put up a picture of these two together, we were inundated with tweets and uh, comments on Instagram going, oh, what a reliable tag team partner. And I must say, Rick Steiner's balls must have been like fucking melons by the end of this match. Oh my God. Yeah. Dick Kick City. Buff runs away and Scott poses as they beat on Rick. A lot of the offense, even after Buff leaves, is based around punching in the dick. Uh, Scott holds Rick as Giant very gingerly gets up, nearly falls he off the top rope a couple terrified. times. terrified. Yeah. Um, he does a drop kick, which hits Scott. Close lines from Rick and the crowd go, I will say the crowd are so into Rick Steiner, by the way. Uh, and they go absolutely mad for him uh, dodging the drop kick and hitting his clotheslines. Steiner Bulldog and Rick is the tag team champions as well as getting his brother one-on-one. Lee, is this legitimately the third time in 1998 where a singles wrestler has won the tag team titles? Yes, yes it is. I was, <laughs> I was thinking about this. So it was. We had Sting and Giant win them. Then yeah. Sting won them. Then the Giant won them. Yeah. And now we have Ricky. I had this company had one idea for tag team angles. And by God, they ran it into the fucking ground. And listen, Rick Steiner is no Matt Morgan. He is not the tag team champions. Yeah. And I, like, remember how appalled we were the first time this happened? And, like, it was really one of Continuity Malone's hardest tasks mm-hmm. to try and uh, rationalize uh, the, two the, men the having Wolfpack. a singles match yeah. for the tag team titles mm-hmm. the first time it happened. I had forgotten that it happens so many more times so quickly that I'm just, I'm so, I love a bit of tag team wrestling and I am so appalled with the treatment. You, you alluded to it earlier and we moved on, but my God, what an afterthought this division is. It's, it's shocking. Like they have so many people on this roster. Yeah. They could have so many good tag teams. Yeah. Just make some tag teams. Yeah. WWE did it for fucking years. Make, but, just make some tag teams. I've got loads of tag team names if they need it. <laughs> I mean, we could give it the fucking Road Rage or Roid Rage, whatever they're fucking called. <laughs> That's what they're called now. <laughs> um, Like, they have, like, just fucking don't have singles matches for tag belts. It makes no sense. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was just... I was like, I was just about ready to stand up and just leave the room at this point. We get Scott versus Rick next, though. Or is it? Because Scott and Giant attempt to leave. No, it's four fucking ball shots is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Giant attempts to, uh, yeah, Giant and Scott attempt to leave, but Rick has other plans, grabs his brother. Giant lumbers after him, but in in the greatest, which way did he go before him and Shane had that feud I've ever seen? He somehow can't get back to the ring with them like he's just stumbling (laughs) just lumbering around like Frankenstein um 
that the rock thing yeah yeah it was <laughs> god he looked like a, just a dumb piece of shit here uh, Scott eats some steel steps Scott gets in the ring he's begging off gets punched square in the chops loved that uh, Scott decides he's gonna fight now but he keeps getting dumped on his arse by Rick and then I was like oh yeah because remember last month we talked about this that they actually had while it lasted a great little fight Mm-hmm. and I thought we were finally gonna get it and in a sentence I never thought I'd write here comes fake Bill Clinton. And I was like, <laughs> "You and Monica Lewinsky." Hey, <laughs> topical. Um, we like to keep up with current affairs on this program, folks. Um, so fake Bill Clinton comes out. Stevie Ray is also out. So immediately the illusion is shattered. You know, the idea of coming out in a disguise is that nobody knows who you are and it builds to the yep. mystery of who was fake Bill Clinton. But so Stevie Ray immediately comes out and so you know it's NWO already. He hands Clinton a slapjack. Clinton reveals himself as Buff Bagwell, who, why did he have to wear a disguise? He was already in the building and could have just walked out. And he, like, oh, just, ugh. It's not quite as funny as Canyon wearing disguises when no one knew what he looked like anyway. But whatever. I think both just wanted to dress up as Bill Clinton in Vegas. Yeah. And I mean, you can make your interests. own jokes. Similar you can make your own jokes. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's there for you. So the, re- <laughs> the ref is knocked out. Uh, Buff uses him to count. Kick out. Buff directs him to... Uh, Buff, Buff directs Scott to hit a Frankensteiner, which he does. Another kick out. Rick fights back. Buff does, Buff, t- <laughs> so I love what a cartoon goof he is. Uh, and he goes to swing and punch uh, at Rick and misses and does the best kind of like cartoon swing completely around once he misses the punch and fall down. Loved mm-hmm. it. The, uh, the, the kind of twirl on your feet. Yeah. Steiner Bulldog again and Rick Steiner wins. So Rick Steiner beats his brother and is the tag team champions in well, spite of the, the B team coming out and trying to cost him. You missed Rick Hotshot's um, buff onto the top rope across his neck. Oh, yeah. And buff is then selling his neck. Yeah, (laughs) because of course he is. Yeah. Uh, We then get a pretty good video recap of the Nash versus Hall feud. And before we get to that. Oh, God. We do need to say this was supposed to be Buff Bagwell's big return to wrestling. Oh, yeah. This was his first match back since that injury. Jesus, God. Like, think of all the other things they could have done. Yeah. Instead, he turned heel for the second time since his return from the neck injury. Also, I think of, like, because these two matches happened back to back, how, like, how out of breath he must have been having to run backstage, change into Bill Clinton gear and run back out into the crowd Mm -hmm. in that time. I feel bad for him in a number of ways. But, yeah, so... Good video recap of Nash versus Hall. Then we have the Battle of the Outsiders itself, as Dave Penzer calls it. Uh, Scott Hall was feigning being pissed this time as he jumps Nash at the start of the match. Uh, brawling on the outside, microphone to the head, and he chokes Nash with the camera cable. Nash is in a heap outside, and Hall is on the mic trashing him and telling him to get uh, to the back. He doesn't want to see him. Uh, Nash crawls to the inside, and Hall carries on beating him up. After a while, it dawns on Tony. So, 
this is another one of those basic psychology moments that like oh, they they kind of lose the thread of the story they're trying to tell so the penny drops with tony that nash is refusing to fight back and encouraging him to come on and hit him and i was like oh that'd be a cool story if nash was like i'm just gonna let the guy fight it out and i'm not mm-hmm. gonna because he's my friend i'm worried about him I, you know i'm not gonna fight him um so that's cool but they drop it almost immediately then lee and nash just starts fighting him but you're also ignoring the build to the match where nash you know stuffed hall's head in the toilet and yeah. beat him up in multiple bars and you know having the match was his idea yeah um this ain't undertaker kane that's all i'll say no <laughs> um, it certainly isn't i do appreciate that Hall actually changed his gear and had no red yeah. in his gear for once. Yeah. Fair play. Um, a little bit of effort. But yeah, no, the, like the whole idea of Nash not fighting him just like they dropped it as soon as the bell rang, like and yeah. the match became official. It was just gone. That's it. Over. Um, well, so they, they, it was gone. And then he does a bit where he's like, uh, Scott is beating him inside the mm-hmm. ring. And he's on one knee and he's just like, come on, come on, hit me. I'm not going to do anything. And then he just starts fighting him again. So they, yeah. they drop it, pick it back up and drop it again. And it, it's underscored so much by the commentary only figuring out the second time he does it and them drawing attention to it as he's dropping it. What really bothered me, though, was when Hall was beating on Nash outside the ring, he busted, like, somehow um, Nash busted his mouth. And it looked like he was bleeding, like, internally, and, you know, he was badly injured or whatever. Yeah. The commentary never once picked up on it. No. And that's just, like, that's... And again, like, he's not perfect, but that's such a thing that Jim Ross will pick up on. Yeah. Missed and opportunity would, there to, to add And would drive... Gravity. Yeah, he'd drive at home. Like, oh, you know, he's after beating him up so badly before the bell. Like, the guy has to be hurting, and he's shown such fight to get back in the ring, and yeah. this is how much it means to him. No, we get nothing. Yeah. It's really, really disappointing stuff there. Uh, but what isn't disappointing as well is that when Nash is in the corner trash talking as he hits Scott with knees, the greatest sound I've ever heard in my life, which is <laughs> Nash performing his knees in the corner and every time he does one, he goes, BAM! <laughs> <laughs> and I tweeted this at the time, but in my wrestling now, I want less thigh slapping on super kicks and more people yelling bam as they do knees in the corner. Loved it. More Batman sound effects. Yeah. Nash drops the strap, mocks Hall's drinking, hits the jackknife, the crowd go crazy for it, and they want one more. Nash picks him up again with great difficulty and drops him again, crotch chops him, and walks out. And like, after all that, Lee, he he won't take the cover and Scott wins via countdown. I was so mad at this finish. Dave, I fucking lost it at this. I was so fucking angry. I mean, have some fucking foresight. This is the guy that you're about to build to ending the biggest streak in wrestling. Yeah. Scott Hall can take a fall. And again, like, if you don't want Hall to take the fall, then fine. Beat Nash. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. Or, or did, don't why? have the match. Have it a thing yeah. where, like, Scott is in no condition to get to the ring, and that's why Nash leaves and takes the count out, because he thinks he's too pathetic to wrestle. But don't well, go through the match, finish him with two jackknives and go, no, now I've decided I'm above this. 
But here's the other thing. This match should never have happened on the show. No. Like, How often have we said that already? <laughs> like, this match should have been a fucking huge, big, like, right. They did the tour in that, what, Slamboree, wasn't it? So, uh, May. I'll say so, yeah. So, why couldn't they have built a staircase? Or anything else, and and also done a better build, obviously, because fuck me, I'm not. We're obviously not into the drinking thing. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, uh, it's just this. Like, it just annoys me so much. Like that, this is the guy that, in two months' time, is gonna become world heavyweight champion. Yeah. And they can't even have him be a fucking NWO. He's not quite a B teamer, but Jesus Christ, he's not exactly the fucking tippy top guy either. Yeah. Oh well. Nitro Girls segment number four, and that's the point at which we realise Conan's video was edited out, I think. Um then we have Tony, who is clearly tired and wants to go home, goes, David Penzer, it's your turn to talk. <laughs> and it's time for Sting versus Brett for the US title. Uh, and as the entrances start up, we see a man that I can only describe as Latino Bret Hart in the crowd watching on. Um <laughs> Other notable moments from the crowd in this include uh, a sign that says, Sting, give Bret Hart the Scorpion. Yep. I just it definitely, it definitely says that. If I was ever to be someone who would bring a sign to a wrestling show, and I am not, and I never will be that person, but if I was, let's just go with that. If I was, Lee, I would make so unbelievably sure... I had spelled things right on the sign. I mean, look, if I'm going to spend time doing something, I'm going to try yeah. and do it right. Yeah. That, yeah, that you moment know, and that sign now live through eternity. <laughs> it sure does. But again, on the, the list of awful wrestling signs, I don't think it's making, you know, the top 1,000. No. Um... I'll tell you what else it will live on into eternity for me, and that stings goatee. Incredible. I mean, listen, goatees were in. They really were. Bischoff, we had the one week with Lex. It's it's a it's a happening. Um What 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 do you think of the look with the, the face paint over the goatee? It's hysterically funny. But the one thing I couldn't stop thinking about was the combination of goatee and duster jacket. Oh my god, it's Mac from It's Always Sunny. Mm-hmm. I I could not unsee it. It it killed me. It absolutely like, killed me. Really, they should have had Mac, you know, have face paint. Yeah. In the oh. show. Well, there's so much like there, I've been it, rewatching it, that show. I think I I mentioned that on the last episode, and like there's so many nods rest- to wrestling in it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, what's Mac's real name? Uh, Rob McElhenney. Rob McElhenney. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is a wrestling fan. Oh, he's got it. Between, like, Piper being the maniac, which is incredible, and something I had never realized watching an episode the other day, and there's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo from Dario Cueto. Yes, you put this in the group chat. Yes, that's yeah. right. I was just like, oh, this this can't be a coincidence. And I think there's something... And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's constant, like, Macho Man references as well. Oh, yeah, there's Macho Man references. There was something, like, an episode after the Dario Cueto one that I, I completely bowled me over as well. I can't remember what it was. Um, But, yeah, I, I just could not 
Well, here, here's the thing. Do you think that the oh, duster was, was always a reference to Sting? That was it. Sorry. It was an unintentional. It had to have been an unintentional wrestling reference. So there's the... Uh, you're an Always Sunny guy, are you? Mm. I've watched it, but I haven't, you know, rewatched and memorized okay. and stuff. But yeah. So, you know the episode they go to the water park? Yes. And there's a running gag in the water park episode about how if you hover over the pool drain, it'll suck your butthole right out. Because Mac knows somebody that happened to. And there's a bit at the end where Mac gets out of the slide him and Dee have been stuck in for the whole episode and he sees his chance to sit on the pool drain. And I swear to God, as he is going for the pool drain, now I know why, because obviously the opening strings of this song are from a very popular movie, but he goes to sit on it and the ring camp music starts. (laughs) Really? Oh my god! I couldn't believe it, but obviously because of Nana is Jaws. Yes. Like, but it just—I couldn't get over the idea of like Mac with a smile on his face sitting on a pool drain. That's <laughs> the fucking ring camp music plays. Oh, I was in bits. Now, now all I can imagine is you know Rob McElhenney sitting home playing Championship Manager as Rex and watching fucking sixteen Carrot from twenty fourteen. Yeah. yeah. What a man! Just like the rest of us. Um, <laughs> So Brett is hesitant to get in the ring with Sting because, yes, there's a wrestling match going on, folks. Sting goes after him. He tries to get in, but leaves as soon as Sting gets in. This kind of bullshit that we see so many times. But this is just the default heel strategy in WCW. Uh, Brett backs up the ramp and tells the ref to back Sting off. Sting eventually has enough of Brett and drags him into the ring. Thank God. Does a 10-punch spot on the clothesline. A lot of slow, methodical work from Brett here. Which, like... It kind of blows, and for a guy like Brett to have this these kind of logic holes where he's the coward, he sets himself up as the coward at the start of this match, and then gets in the ring, and now he's the dominant wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, and the coward stuff felt hollow as well because like this is Bret Hart. Like Bret Hart doesn't turn yeah, away you, from wrestling you, matches. You can't does. ignore his history. Like we know, this is an elite level wrestler. Yeah, it's not happening in a vacuum here. You know, um. And also, like, not only that, but secondly, this straight wrestling match comes after their wild backstage brawl that Nitro went off the air with. Mm-hmm. Like, again, this is the match that should have opened with these two just charging at each other. Yeah. Uh, Sting at least wrestles with a bit of fire. There's a, there's a moment where he pops out of nowhere with an attempt at the Scorpion Death Drop. Uh, there's a leapfrog spot and Brett's darn knee gives out again, Lee, wouldn't you know it? But I the love old, that the, the old trick knee. I love that finally there isn't a dumb baby face and Sting doesn't buy it for a second and mm-hmm. keeps stomping on him. The ref yanks him away to check. Brett uh, pulls out the nooks while this is happening. Sting clotheslines Brett, who then drops it. Sting picks him up and as he goes to swing at Brett, the ref uh, sees them. Um, and as the ref is disposing of them, then Brett hits a low blow to regain the heat. Some outside brawling. Sting gets dropped by his neck onto the rails, which looked like it sucked, and now he's struggling. Um, Brett keeps laying in blows to keep Sting on the apron. Sting elbows the ref, thinking it's Brett. Brett then leg drops the ref just for good measure. <laughs> uh, Sting lets a flurry of offense go. He tries to te- check the ref. Brett attacks. Sting hits a superplex. The ref is still out. Sting... What did you think of this spot now? So Sting... It goes to hit the stinger splash with Brett has his uh, has his kind of uh, he's 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 got his back to Sting when he does it. 
So he goes to hit the stinger splash, but he leaps so high that he goes over Brett and essentially KOs himself off the ring post. I saw this and then I saw I I went I've seen this spot before and I can't remember where. Yeah. And I don't know if it was Sting I've seen do it before in yeah. another match. Or if it was like um I'm trying to think who else does like a corner splash that I could have seen it. But I've definitely seen the spot where they like they overextend on the splash. Yeah. And they hit the the, the metal part holding the the buckle to the post. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, it's a good spot. I think it would have been better if Brett kind of ducked out of the way instead of yeah. you know he, yeah. he didn't have to move, but if he had to ducked down. Yeah. I think I like I think it's a decent idea, but maybe in execution, again, it maybe looks the makes the baby face look a little stupid. Especially what like whatever if Sting was like the, the hot new young baby face mm. on the scene. Do you know, kinda like we were talking about with Kidman. Like if he's a Kidman and he's making that mistake, you're like, Alright, okay, yeah, fair yeah, enough. He, but it's say, like, Sting. He, he's he's over exuberant and he you know, he overshoots the move or whatever. Yeah, but the we're, idea we're, itself is pretty good. Yeah, whereas if somebody ducks down you can kinda of say, Oh well, you know, the person moved out of the way and his momentum carried him forward. Yeah. You know, it makes a bit more sense. As soon as this happens, Brett just immediately stops selling, runs out of the ring. He grabs Sting's bat uh, and hits him. So Sting is draped over the ropes unconscious. He batters him four times uh, while he's draped there. And then they it's get funny, in the you, ring. you say four, I said at least 47. <laughs> then he, uh, he gets in and gets up on Brett's rope and does it again. Uh, sharpshooter from Brett uh, as the ref regains consciousness just in time Sting is unconscious unconscious, so the ref calls it there and then something you had texted me about the world's most (laughs) casual uh, (laughs) medics come out to take Sting away they are in no fucking rush here I mean a good what two minutes passes (laughs) yeah they're just strolling out and coming there you're just like yeah Sting hasn't moved Um, yeah we we think there's EMTs on the way we're not sure and to be fair, like the whole time, like visualize this to underbuddies that don't want to watch this pay per view. Like Sting is selling this like he has died, like he is face down and hasn't. It's it's not like he's struggling or rolling or talking to the ref. Like he's face down in the yeah. dirt and hasn't moved. It's horrifying. Like it genuinely, you, this <laughs> yeah. man is dead in the ring. Yeah. Oh god. Well, Lee. Actually, no. Do you know what? What did you think of this match? I thought it was kind of just fairly average. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, I mean, look, I'm happy they actually finished it with the sharpshooter. Yeah, I was terrified we were gonna get like a fucking after all the build up of sharpshooter versus um scorpion that we were gonna get like a fucking a scorpion death drop to win it for Sting. Yeah. Um, but look, it it was very you know heel breath. Yeah. And putting more heat on on breath. And yeah. I mean, we've said it like. Brett as US champ could be done but it could have been done a lot better yeah it feels like you know at least like you said at least they got there but it, it also feels like a squandering of the potential of the big Sting versus Brett mm-hmm. feud at the same time I, I don't mind the result like you know it, it that doesn't bother me it's more how we got to it yeah well Lee here it is the match everybody's been waiting for us to talk about the match you have gone on record as saying you've never seen in its entirety. Nope. The match rated minus five stars by the Wrestling Observer. The eagerly awaited eight and a half year later rematch of Hollywood Hogan versus The Warrior. Hey, there was no Michael Buffer. 
No, not yet. Um, I got I, hopeful. Yeah, I thought we got away with it. Um, where to start with this? What? What? what uh, something we haven't talked about on the show. I guess we have alluded to Warriors WWF run, but and you mentioned that you were big into the Warrior as a kid. Mm-hmm. I think. What did you think of the original Hogan Warrior match, and and have you watched it back in recent years? Oh, I watch it every match? year. It's I love it. it yeah. It's it's genuinely a great match. Um. Again, I. Hogan was peak Hogan when I was growing, like when I was four. Like yeah. you're talking like yeah, nineteen ninety. I would have been four, and I, like I was already into the wrestling, as we'd call it over here. Um. And I was big into Hogan, mm. but I was even bigger into the Warrior. Like I fucking I lived for the Ultimate Warrior as a kid. Like yeah. as a young child, like um, whether it was the colors, the insanity, the fucking coke adult promos, I don't know. But again, like I just remember, I loved Hogan. I had a Hogan best of the um, VHS that I fucking wore out. Um, I had the Hulk, the original Hulkamania T-shirt. I had you know the wrestling buddies. I have one Hulk Hogan. I have one Ultimate Warrior. Um, like they were my guys. But when it came to it, I was Warrior all the way. And then he came back at WrestleMania 12. And I, it was like I would have been... So WrestleMania 12 would have been six years later. So I was like 10, 11. And I was just like... Mm, uh, this isn't what I remember. And this isn't quite as good. Yeah. Um. And then we get to this. And let me tell you, I again I've said it before. I watched Nitro on and off around this time. Like there was times where we watch Raw, we'd watch Nitro and kind of flick between the the two. Yeah, I don't have any solid memory of watching Nitro at this time. Whether I've blocked it out, whether we <laughs> fucking just were purely watching Raw at this time, I can't remember. Yeah, but this match, like I said, I never ever ventured to watch the whole thing like the network is what eight years nine years old at this stage yeah it's uh it'll be seven years in like a month or so okay seven because so seven I, I was just i was looking back uh there a couple of days ago and it's next month will be seven years since the first live nxt special which oh, was like the first thing the they first did on thing on, yeah yeah the, for the opening show um so yeah like I, i've never wanted i've never curiosity never you know took me to watch this match and then when we started this podcast i was like right well i'm definitely not going to watch it now i'll wait till we get to it Mm. and let me tell you after 22 years yeah this match lives Mm. up to all the shitty expectations it Mm. is one of if not the worst big time match i have ever ever seen like that's take take away any fucking you know you're going to wrestle in that fucking you know hall in dublin or you're going to fucking you know the local vf hall in fucking indiana indianapolis or like a a trainee show in a ga club like ignore all that i'm talking big time pay-per-view show like main event this this is fucking it it's embarrassing it is the worst single match 
ever put on by a major American wrestling promotion. I think I can safely say that. Um, Honestly, I I think Jenna Maraska versus Charmel <laughs> is better than this match. It, I think at least that had. That was funny bad to me. It did. That one didn't take itself seriously. Nor this did I did. think we were going to get anything remotely entertaining going into that match. Whereas this, the weight of expectation of, you know, like it's not going to be a technical wrestling fest, mm-hmm. but at least it would have the spectacle. But it doesn't. It's just sad. The only match I can think of that I've ever seen on a North American pay-per-view that is worse is the dreaded, infamous tag team match from Heroes of Wrestling that everyone talks about. And maybe mm-hmm. someday, Lee, I'll make you watch that for bonus content if you've never <laughs> seen that one. Again, I've heard all the stories and I've never once had the yeah. the will to sit down and watch the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view, but I know all of the stories from it, yes. But, um... That tag team match, by me? the way, I believe it's the Bushwhackers versus, is it Sheik and Volkov? I think that's, yeah, I think that's the, the one that everyone Which, says. Is... Again, Dave Meltzer gave this match we're talking about minus five stars. I will never, as long as I live, forget Brian Alvarez's score for that tag team match at Hero Wrest- Heroes of Wrestling, which was minus more stars than there are stars in the universe and the universe is infinite. <laughs> <laughs> Never one for hyperbole, Brian Alvarez. But... but do you know what kills me about this match? Everything. <laughs> they do callbacks yeah. in the WrestleMania match. Yeah. And they should be good. Like, the, yeah. you know, the test there's is logic. There, there's psychology to what they're trying to do. Yeah. But it, it's sad. Yeah. The, uh, that adds, like, another tinge of sadness to it. The fact that it seems like they actually tried to think they, about they it. They sat down. Yeah, they, they were, like they sat down. Yeah. And looked at the match they had eight and a half years before. Yeah. And went, you know what? We can do this. We, if we, oh, this, you know, this near fall would be great. And, you know, this would be such a great callback. Yeah. And instead, what we got was two guys in... I want to, like, were they late 40s? They weren't even 50 at this stage, were they? No. The Hogan was in his 40s, I think, at this stage. Like, they shouldn't be this slow. Yeah. It shouldn't be like, this bad. Like you said, like, these are two guys who clearly thought about this match because of the callbacks. But the way this match comes off is two guys that not only have never met each other, not only don't speak the same language, but may not even be the same species. You know? Like, what? could possibly have gone so wrong that this is what they put out on pay-per-view something i thought about during this match was that i am 1000 percent sure that even with you've had two large whiskeys i have had a very large whiskey <laughs> and a beer we would have a better match than them and i mean not just like if we came up with the match from scratch i'm saying if the two of us came up with the idea for a warrior hogan callback match Mm -hmm. we would put together and pull off a better match and like you've done some training i have done none and i'm still (laughs) very confident about that like i i just i can't get my head around how this is what they ultimately put out on the show yeah like what what led it to, to be this bad? Like, what yeah. 
what is their explanation for it? Because surely when they went backstage, they weren't happy with this. Yeah, they can't have been. You'd have to be completely delusional. And I guess at least one person in this match is demonstrably uh, delusional. But anyway, I'm not going to go through move by move in this match because it would be fucking harrowing to even recount. But like I knew this was all like, well, obviously I'd seen this match plenty of times before because I'm a masochist. But even if you hadn't, you would know this match was heading on a highway to nowhere because the two things that happen first are firstly, Hogan does the begging off and refusing to get into the ring. So two matches straight, we have that shtick. Again, this is part of, like I said at the start of the show, agents not talking to each other. So they're doing the same stuff. And then when they do get in to start the match, Warrior throws one of the most diabolical looking worked punches I've ever seen in my life mm-hmm. and they do lockups, and even the lockups look like shit and I wrote at this point in the match in the battle of who you would rather watch selling during this match I'd rather take my eyes out with a spoon <laughs> but yeah and, and do you know do you know what's another giveaway what and we haven't even mentioned yeah the fans are dead this for the is- entrances not only like are they absolutely sitting on their hands. Yeah, the fans are dead for the entrances. There's a couple of spots they pop for, but something I did not think you would hear during this match, and you do, are light, boring chants. Yes, I picked up like I want to say within like five minutes, not yeah. even five minutes of the match starting. Think of you how can, much you they've been beating us over the head with how big this is. They have pushed this more than practically any match we have ever covered on this show. And this is the crowd just, and rightfully, shit on it. Yeah, like, they've spent what? When did when did Warrior show up? Was it um, the night after Fall Brawl? No, the night after... because no, he um, was in Fall Brawl, so it was the night after the month before. The the Leno match, wasn't it? Yeah. Road Wild? The night after Road, Road Wild, yes. So, you're talking two and a half months of build. Yeah. And within five minutes, the fans are chanting boring. Yeah. Incredible. Like, just like the money invested in this. Yeah. I, I was reading a thing last night. Now, I, I don't take this as gospel, but somebody broke down the contract he was on and divided it by the matches he worked. And he was roughly getting I've, paid $950,000 for this match, I believe. Yeah, I, I've seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. So think about that. This guy got nearly got a million dollars to do this. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Like the, 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 the obvious thing is... Hogan wanted his win back, and no matter what, he was going to get his win back. Yeah. Oh, that's it. But yeah. uh, that's but the like, ultimate goal. Really, if you were Eric Bischoff yeah. after that first night, were you pulling the plug on this match? Oh, well, this is like, you have to do the match. Like, if you bring him in and you sign him, you have to do this match. I would get extremely cold feet after that War Games, and I would very much. This would have been the most bombarded with smoke and mirrors sort of match. And if this happened in 2021, it's absolutely one of those horrendous cinematic matches. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I straight okay. wrestling match it, is like the worst idea. Here's another suggestion for you. Did you watch TNA in the Hogan era? Not very much. Okay, do you remember them building to the big Hogan versus Sting match at Bound for Glory? Yes. And did you watch that match? No. <laughs> the match is basically like a couple of minutes long and the two of them bleed. And then like Hogan's the heel, but Hogan turns face in the match and yeah. helps Sting beat up the heels. 
it it again it doesn't sound much but it actually like it was a good moment yeah i mean i should that have happened in this one maybe like it's something i kept thinking about and you know i'm ruminating over this match both in the lead up to watching it again and while i was actually watching it and i think to myself that like so hogan turned turned heel two and a half years previously right Mm-hmm. And I I feel like maybe the core of the problem of this match comes down to two men who have not adapted. Um, why it's so bad, as well as their bodies just being shot to shit. Mm-hmm. But so his heel turn in '96 bought him a lot of time because that character was running stale. The heel turn gave him a new lease on life and he had to do very little to be the biggest and most over heel in wrestling and the biggest act once again on top Mm -hmm. of everything, the Hulkster. What you only notice from time to time is just how dated his matches were because his character was so hot in those two and a half years. Like, you know he's not Bret Hart in the ring, but you're still getting heated matches with him a lot of time. A lot of the time. It's only when he gets paired here with Warrior. Another relic who looks like he had been plucked clean out of 1990. Cartoony and everything. Mm-hmm. That you see how outdated both of them are. And it, it, like. It, it, it does feel like an offer match from another time. Yeah. And it's one of those that if you're going to revisit a match eight and a half years later you better be damn sure you can still go mm-hmm. and deliver. Or, or, or at least be honest with your audience that it's not going to live up to the match eight years ago. Yeah, like... And there's no shame in that. No, no. And, and like, it's just... It's just so... It's so cataclysmically badly. I just... They do shite walking brawls in this. Um... I'm trying to think what I, I'm just going through here. Um, I wrote, I wanted to watch QI tonight and now I have to watch this. Uh, there's um, there's a bit after the, the ref bump where um, Giant comes out and the only enjoyable moment in the whole match is when um, Brain says something about him calling out the troops and then refers to Giant as the biggest troop of them all, the whole troop. <laughs> and nothing but the troop. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So there's the, the the two big spots, I guess, that we should talk about. The fireball. It's iconic. It's 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 a gif. It's a very famous gif of Hogan trying to do the fireball and completely fucking it up, and the two of them having no idea what to do to cover for it. And I mean, the, the, like Hulk Hogan has at this point nearly 20 22 23 years of experience in the wrestling business mm-hmm. and one he never properly learned now again nobody like learns properly how to throw a fireball just because you're x amount of years in like if you want to do a fireball spot learn how to do the fucking fireball yeah that's one thing yeah but secondly like surely at his this point of his career, he knows how to cover for something going wrong. Yeah. Like the warrior, 
the Warriors the fucking Warrior. Nobody fucking expects anything else from him. Yeah. But like Warrior sells the fireball before it's thrown. Yeah. Or, or I say I say thrown before it blows up in Hogan's face. Yeah. But the Warrior is already flinching. Like it it's just it is the like it's just all time bad. Like it's it the really most, is. It's the most iconic blown spot in wrestling history, possibly. And one of the things that really gets me about it is that when you watch it in the context of the whole match, there was absolutely no reason to do it. No, like, why is Hogan all of a sudden resorting to fucking fire? Yeah, this was like, something there was, that there's like, no hint. Yeah, even if it had come off well, like if he had executed the fireball perfectly, I think you'd still be sitting there going, "What the fuck was that about?" <laughs> like, that wasn't going to be the finish because we still had to get the horror spit in. Yeah, like. Hulk Hogan's a pyromancer now what what is this so there's that and then there's unfortunately because of how iconically bad the fireball is we don't talk about what is one of the great bad spots in wrestling history and one of my favourite ones so um, they do the bits with the weight belt where Hogan takes it off and starts whipping and choking Warrior uh, Patrick is threatening to throw out the match Tony says that you know Hogan knows he won't throw out the match it's too big then Hogan shambling around the ring hobbling does tries to do the quick elbow drops but Warrior rolls away from one rolls away twice and then Lee he counters with what can only be described as the mighty log roll of doom <laughs> It's a fucking shambles, isn't it? Was like, this a spot you had, had seen in, in, no. in full before? And what did no. you think of it? <laughs> like, the avoiding the elbows, again, is a callback to the WrestleMania 6 match. Yeah. And that's fine. <sighs> but the fucking, like, knocked him down with a log roll. Like, it's just... And it's, it, it, like, only catching one leg and him kind of, like, doing the cane bump where he kind of just goes down to his knees instead of just mm-hmm. taking the bump. It, it like, I just, again I just can't fathom how these two people that have been on top of, like had been on top of the business for so long between the two of them somehow put this together and said this was like going to be an all time classic Yeah, and they were right in one sense yeah certainly um, but like okay so I, I think we need to like just explain the finish where Horace comes out yeah you, you go ahead so Horace strolls out holding a chair which is obviously a callback to you know um hogan knocking out his own nephew with the chair on nitro and beating the fuck out of him and bischoff is kind of like tentatively walking behind horace not quite sure what's going on yeah um eventually we get i think we get a ref bump do we or like yeah oh, we, no, no we B- get bischoff, uh, bischoff puts him in a headlock yeah. yeah and um horace comes in and gingerly hits warrior over the back with the chair and that's the finish. Yeah. That's it. Eight and a half years for that. Um, But then, <laughs> this, this, this is really the bit that I was fucking blown away by. Yeah. Considering the timing of us watching this match. And what WWE ended a pay-per-view doing just a few weeks ago. I still haven't seen that and I don't want to see that. <laughs> but, yeah, so, after the pinfall and we get Hogan reuniting with his estranged nephew that he beat the piss out of six days earlier, 
Um, and the guy that was in the flock for months and Hogan ignored. And again, like like you said earlier, two and a half months they've been building towards this match and they didn't decide to add the horrors angle until six days before. Uh-huh. Almost like they were looking for an out there, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, they, the, the Hogan's reuniting the ring like Nick just got out of jail and with that Horace whips out a bottle of lighter fluid and proceeds to cover the warrior head to toe in lighter fluid while Hogan is asking for a lighter. Yeah. Or Bischoff is asking for a match, I believe, as well. Yeah. And now, bear in mind, until moments ago, Hogan had both. Yes. But here's the thing. Nobody fucking talks about this. <laughs> yeah. They tried to burn the man alive. Burn him to a crisp, as Brian Alvarez would say. What the fuck? Why does nobody talk about this? Yeah, it went really extreme. It's like... For... <laughs> it's like... The Ultimate in... Warrior is in Balls Mahoney in 1999. In kayfabe, Hogan is backstage in Vegas earlier that day just talking shit with Horace and Bischoff hatching their evil plan. And he goes, you know what, guys? I'm really into fire now. Like did did Hogan go to like Siegfried and Roy the night performance? Fire. That's what we need. We need fucking fire to kill the warrior. <laughs> we need tigers. We can't get tigers. Well what about fire then? Like what the fuck? Like where did this come from? Um ugh. Did Hogan watch like fucking IWA King of the Hardcore matches like just that fucking weekend yeah. or it like is. it's just where has it come like why is Hogan now decided <laughs> all of a sudden that I'm going to burn the wire alive <laughs> and then as well that like he just doesn't do it like going forward it's not like it becomes an integral part of the gimmick you know it's not like he's replaced the, the, the NWO spray painting you know with a light bit of arson at the end of every match <laughs> like Again, that would have made more sense if all yeah. of a sudden there's locker rooms on fire backstage. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like you want to write in dialogue like something that would be like out of a line from Father Ted. It was like, oh, sorry, he went a bit mad there. Don't know what I was thinking. Uh, it just, like, does Hogan reuniting with his family all of a sudden trigger memories of fucking fire player home or something? <laughs> Where him and his brother love, fucking. Hogan! <laughs> Where him and his brother are fucking like setting places alight in Tampa in this fucking fifties. <laughs> oh, the mind fucking boggles. Um, Dillinger for once successfully tries to stop it, uh, stopping a man being burned alive, and the heel is bail, and that's the end of it. Lee, your first occasion. You said it lived up to the hype. Would you stick by the minus five star rating? <sighs> Yeah, but yeah. like, I don't know if I could rate it because it's just, like, again, like, we're just off the back of watching two days of fucking great wrestling in front of nobody yeah. in the Tokyo alone. And then, like, I have to talk about this and, like, yeah, I know Melter, you know, gave the, the minus five or whatever, but it's worse than that. Like, that doesn't do it justice. Like, putting a rating on it doesn't doesn't even begin to get into just how fucking awful it is. Yeah. 
And again, not even fun bad. It's like we said um, when we started talking about the show. It's just sad. The log roll, unmistakably hilarious. <laughs> but the rest of it is just like, it's pathetic. Like it, it's and again, it's the callbacks that got me. Like I sat down to watch this, having never seen it, and I knew it was going to be bad. Yeah. But they put this together and thought it was good. Yeah. This isn't where you know, if it had been that like the warrior was just absolute shit and Hogan, who again like we have on rewatch discovered, wasn't exactly covering himself in glory throughout nineteen ninety eight. No. It's not like he put together a match and was just like, oh, I can't work with this guy. Yeah. Like they tried with this match, they did callback spots. Mm-hmm. This was maximum effort, Hogan, which mm-hmm. boggles the mind. Like that should have been assigned to Bischoff. Yeah. Like um, and this is like the the most proof positive moment of all that Hogan was. He was washed. He was like, washed. He, he, he was completely undeserving of his space. He shouldn't have been allowed. Continue hanging out there till nearly the death of the company, keeping other people away from the top. Like, ah, uh. like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not defending what Vince Russo would do when he came in. Like again, that like we'll cross that when we get to it. But he was absolutely right to say Hogan is finished as a main eventer. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like. I, I am at least thankful this wasn't the main event because I feel like if this was the end of the, the show we would have just come into this podcast in an absolute <laughs> fowler. <laughs> just like fuming. Yeah. But thankfully we get the ultimate palate cleanser for this main event. Yes. And we start off as only a great main event can with Lee's main man Michael Buffer. <laughs> I can forgive it for this match. So he it it's the proper like big boxing fight feel. He even mentions the Nevada State Athletic Commission. One familiar name popping up in in that list of commissioners, Lorenzo Fertitta. Yes, uh, I I fucking noticed that actually. Yeah, former commissioner um, of the UFC. I will say I did like a Twitter thread. Yeah. As I was watching the match. Mm-hmm. And one interesting point was. Um, Listener to show that David O'Neill said that you know every time they went to Vegas the crowd wasn't great. Now yeah. maybe it was just me, but I thought Goldberg and DDP got fucking enormous ovations on their entrances. Yeah, they did. I was so excited um, when this started uh, because I I was thinking you know with these WCW crowds no matter how big the other guy is mm-hmm. um, they usually end up being like almost 100% for Goldberg and I was yeah. like oh you know this is it deserves better than this but like just looking at the signs in the crowd as this was getting ready uh, I was like holy shit like this is going to be a hot crowd for this one Um, but yeah uh, let's just get into it uh, Paige is out first and my god is this man excited leaping around from side to side at the entrance running through the crowd and I gotta say as soon as he gets in the, the ring Lee if it wasn't already it's a big fight feel yeah like it just and again that, that to me goes back to the way they were treated by the fans they yeah. were f- treated 
like main event players here. They were treated like the biggest part of the show. Yeah. Um and, and I, I know it here as well. Like it is wild how into DDP the crowd are when Goldberg at this point, like nineteen ninety eight, mm-hmm. one hundred and fifty four and oh, he is at his peak and people are still hugely into DDP. He's not just fodder. The commentators play an absolute blinder in this match, hyping it up. Uh there's a great moment on commentary where Goldberg is doing his entrance. He's walking through the back and the commentators point out, is like, you can't see this on the live feed, but Paige has his head down in the corner. He is not paying attention to the Goldberg entrance. Mm-hmm. He is focused. He is ready. He is not being distracted by Goldberg's mind games. Um, I think it. I think it's Bobby that says, like, he can't hear a thing at this moment. He doesn't even realise he's in an arena. Yeah. I love... Um, the shot of Goldberg coming out the entrance tunnel just his, mm-hmm. his shoulders looking like and just enormous as yeah I, 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 I tried to get a picture of it like that would do it justice yeah. and I couldn't do it but like it just like you want to talk about just looking like a fucking star mm. like that's gold like that Goldberg entrance on Halloween Havoc yeah. like that is God, like the fact that he pissed this away. Yeah. So soon as well. <sighs> it's just yeah. Enjoy it. But now, anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes, no, it's just fucking a legit fucking megastar moment. Mm. Uh DDP is getting overpowered in lockups early. It's kind of your your usual Goldberg fair to start. So you're starting to think, oh, this is just gonna go the way the rest of them do, which I liked. Mm-hmm. That they were kind of uh, just making that tease that he's just gonna be another guy. Uh, Paige does an arm drag and then dares Goldberg to come at him and then when he does he drags him out through the ropes to the floor with his own momentum so this is an early indicator that Paige knows what he's doing that he's not just going to back down and that he's studied Goldberg something that is remarked on in all the big DDP matches Mm -hmm. but they hit home again here is how much tape he studies I I fucking I love that moment because again like you said the the first three lockups it's all Goldberg he just pushes him away three times yeah but the fourth time to go for a lockup ddp arm drags him yeah and you can see that ddp ddp knows goldberg is a hothead yeah and he can't take somebody getting the better of him yeah he, so the fact that goldberg just charges him out of the ring yeah. and the two of them tumble it's just like that's just so clever he's daring goldberg to make a mistake and Goldberg mm-hmm. knows that that's what he's doing because when they spill to the outside and they both stand up, it's like Goldberg has a moment to think. And he's like, fuck, he nearly got me. You know? Mm-hmm. So we go into the ring. Paige attempts a leg sweep. Goldberg does his ridiculously athletic for a man his size backflip. But Paige is smarter than your average bear and just continues and sweeps the leg again. Yeah. Um, Cross arm breaker from Goldberg. Ring awareness from DDP. Gets to the ropes before there's too much uh, damage done. Page hits a jawbreaker and some shoulder blocks. He's really starting to work the shoulder at this point. He tries to do a diamond cutter and gets shoved clean out of the ring. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I may not study as much tape as you, but I'm ready for that fucking diamond cutter, motherfucker. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know what? I think that builds agency in the fact that Goldberg respects DDP. Yeah. I know you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paige shows some chain wrestling chops here, getting out of an arm ringer. Um, 
Standing sidekick from Goldberg sends Page into a corner. He goes for the spear, but Page leaps up into the air and Goldberg hits the turnbuckle and goes flying out. And as soon as he does this, the commentators lose it. They're like, is this the mistake? Goldberg's hurt. Goldberg's hurt. And I love this because they did this for a second in the Sting match as well. And this is the bit where even the the commentators are buying it and they're thinking, is this the night? And they're saying it out loud, like, is this the one? Um... Like it's it's like he's made mistakes before, but like nobody can possibly capitalize the way DDP can. Yeah, and it really builds to like an incredible finish. Yeah, as we get the clothesline off the top from Page uh, for a two count. You can see Goldberg is really starting to favor the shoulder now. Mm-hmm. Goldberg attempts to slam him with the one good arm, but it gets reversed into a DDT, which looks good, but the commentators didn't necessarily pick up on the DDT part. Mm-hmm. Um, he signals for the cutter, but again, in an like you said, in that act of respect that I know you, Paige, as soon as he signals for the cutter, Goldberg is like, fuck it, and spears him. But Goldberg <sighs> can't cover because now the genius plan of Paige comes to mm-hmm. light because it's the shoulder that he favors on the spear. And as soon as he hits the spear, you can tell Goldberg's put his shoulder out. His arm is hanging dead by yeah. his side. And you're like, you, go on, yeah? Yeah. You, I was just going to say, you want to talk about like little subtle selling. Yeah. Like it, it's like you say, like you see DDP trope, the um, diamond cutter sign, and the fans are fucking losing it. Yeah. And it's like nobody notices as soon as he throws up the arms, Goldberg has gotten to position for the spear. Yeah. And my God, like you, I know we started and we never kind of continued on keeping track of like great spears, but you want to talk about a big time fucking spear. Oh my God. He fucking eats through fucking page. Yeah. And, and that adds to like you, it's believable. His shoulder is gone after Mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah, exactly. And that really adds to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you as a fan are watching this and going, well, it's rare that Goldberg makes one mistake, but now he's made two. Mm hmm. He's done he, the like, spear and his shoulder is fucked. In your head, you're going, why didn't you throw the spear from the other side? Yeah. He's trying to get him up for the jack. I love this so much. Lee. He tries to get him up for the jackhammer and he fails. And Which there is, is the like time. a moment of shock in the crowd when he can't get him up for it because they're assuming that it's just jackhammer time. And mm-hmm. when he doesn't, even the commentators are like, like you said, that has never happened. When he goes for it, he hits the jackhammer. He Undeterred, he tries again and it's reversed into the diamond cutter and the fucking roof came off. Mm-hmm. Both men dead on the ground. Paige crawls over and gets the cover. Kick out. And this is where Paige... In my view, this is my kind of interpretation of watching it, where Paige is feeling it a bit too much and is kind of overstating how gone Goldberg's shoulder is. He thinks it's safe to go for a suplex. Because, like, that, his shoulder I is don't, gone. I don't think he was gone for a suplex. See, this, this is my own internal thing. Okay. I think Paige is the one that ultimately made the mistake. Right. Because Paige was going for a jackhammer. Oh, okay. Oh, I like that. That he just got a bit too full of himself. Yeah, Paige thought he yeah. had him and he, yeah. he knew the shoulder was done. Yeah. So in his mind, right, the, the diamond cutter. And now, again, there was a there was only a couple of seconds, but there was an important couple of seconds between hitting the move and the pin. Yeah. So in Paige's head, he's like, right, the shoulder is gone. I can get him up. Yeah. 
That's interesting because I like I was looking at him just going for a suplex, but I was looking at him going similarly where I'm like, he's feeling how much of a master tactician he is. And he goes, I have destroyed mm-hmm. the shoulder. The one move I can safely do without him being able to reverse is a suplex because he needs that power in his arm to stop me. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was going. Was That's what like he was to, trying to do. He's like, this is the one move I can safely do without him to, shoving me away. Yeah, no, to me the mistake is... Like, right, he failed the first time. But when you think about it, yeah. the second time he got him up for the super, he got him up for the jackhammer. Yeah. It's just that Paige slipped out. Yeah. So ultimately, Paige was the one, after all his talk, after yeah. all his study, he was the one that made the mistake. He went off plan. Yeah. Like, one way or this is it. Like, it's that he's getting, he's, whatever movie he was going for, he's feeling his oats a bit too much. Mm-hmm. And he goes off the plan. Because, again, in the position, Goldberg is essentially limp. And his arm is hanging. He could have just gone for the diamond cutter again. And he doesn't. He goes for something else. Reverse jackhammer. 155 and 0. And I just basked in the glory of this match. Yeah, it was like... I think, like I said, at the start of the show, I think this went like all of 12, 13 minutes. 11 minutes, I think. Was it 11 minutes? Yeah. And, like, I honestly... It's probably Goldberg's best match in WCW. It is definitely his best match in WCW. Now, if you want to... Like, there's the two Brock matches everybody loves. The mm-hmm. the one where they, they spam the finishers or the one where he squashes Brock in a minute. Um, This, for me, is the one. I think this... I think this, in, in its entirety, the story told, yeah. like, the build-up, all of it, I think is just... It's so good, and... It killed me knowing where we're going. Yeah. That just as he is... Like, he is... I think it's undeniable that now he is... Yeah. He has grown into the role of being world champion. We think in the last month, he's had two of his best ever singles matches against Sting and now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's, it's just... It's so fucking... Oh, it's so annoying knowing where it's going, but yeah, like this is like he's undeniably the man. Yeah. The fall will be even more painful. Yeah. That's the only word for it. Yeah. Uh, but what a sweet way to end Halloween Havoc, I will say. We had to suffer for it. Uh with the semi main, but we got there and it's like Again, there isn't a huge amount apart from this on the show that I'm like, oh, you need to go back. There's some decent stuff on the show as we talked mm-hmm. about, like Raven Jericho, the, the two disco matches are enjoyable enough. Um but this is a one match show in terms of like rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. This is one of those times where you guys are gonna have to just dust off the old googly machine and track down this one and rewatch it because, you know, we've gushed over it here for several minutes, but I don't think we can come close to describing the atmosphere, the feel, and how this was uh, just one of the greatest WCW pay-per-view main events of this era. And how, you know... Ultimately, nobody got to see it on pay-per-view. Ultimately, no one got to see it on pay-per-view. They gave it away for free on Nitro because they're fucking idiots. Um, And even more tragic than that the fact that this should have set them up with the number one and number two baby faces for the next 10 years 
Um, like like you think about this right this is what because that's, that's the other thing that we haven't mentioned as well is that DDP in harmed in no way by this finish no one oh, mistake God, he, he is enhanced if anything else come out of this match yeah because he was able to hang with Goldberg yeah. he was a second yeah. and away from beating Goldberg being the one in 154 and one one of the things about Paige as well I don't think we've drawn enough attention on this show before I leave you to that point you were going to make a second ago is Paige's ability to be either elevated or at least not lose anything in a big loss where he makes the other guy look great mm-hmm. it's an underrated ability oh yeah to, to always like no matter the result of the match always come out looking better than you went in yeah like that's that's such a like it's a great quality to have for any wrestler mm. Um, but yeah like it's I hate playing like the you know we know where it's going kind of thing but like yeah. we're two months away from Starcade like they mm-hmm. could have easily built to another DDP Goldberg match at Starcade yeah or ultimately they could have built to say I don't know do you want to say like Spring Stampede would be their biggest show early in the year yeah like um, they could have easily have built to a big time rematch between these two mm-hmm as faces and or even if you wanted to do the DDP turn if you ultimately felt you needed to do the DDP turn and have him come in as a heel against Goldberg the next time yeah it's just they had so many options and they fucking went the way they went but god I'm so glad we got to watch this like I will say if you have been listening along and like listen to us talk about the build go back even just watch the Goldberg DDP segments in the build up to this match mm-hmm. because ultimately it all pays off at the end yeah and don't keep watching <laughs> how Goldberg's <laughs> career goes over the next couple of months because it gets real sad but uh, yeah um, Lee your winners and losers from Halloween Havoc I, I think a couple of these will be no surprise no like no surprise it's obviously DDP and Goldberg for that fucking phenomenal main event mm-hmm. and I think ultimately Disco Inferno had his best night in the company yeah at least during the period we've been covering yeah so like so far yeah um, like he really came off like a, a fucking useful member of the roster yeah as for losers um, I mean it's hard to see past Warrior and Hogan yeah isn't it? like Again, I can't say Hogan is a loser because he ultimately made millions from this show. Yeah, and Warrior made $950,000 from this match. Like, like ultimately, the biggest loser in this show is WCW, the company. Yeah, and also because for they, to watch it. <laughs> but, like, I don't, again, I don't even mind that part. It's the fact that they fucked up so badly that the lasting image for... I think it's like 70% of the people who order the pay-per-view is the Hogan Warrior match. They never got to see Goldberg DDP on the night. Yeah. And that's such a fucking horrible way after that awful, like god-awful, fucking all-time bad match to then get, like, maybe they got the entrances. I don't know exactly when it cuts off, but, like, they fucked over so many of their fans. When they didn't need to. 
No, it, it was completely needless. It's completely the kind of bullshittery that WCW is synonymous with. The lack of foresight, the prioritizing the likes of Hogan over the people that really should have had the spotlight and not realizing a good thing when they had it and being able to maintain it. Um, it's so much is summed up by WCW in the last two matches alone, let alone the whole show, that it's kind mm -hmm. of astonishing, you know. Um, it feels like a real snapshot of the dying years of that company. Um, and it feels likely that this is kind of almost the close of a chapter, that it feels like now that this match, the, the great singles pay-per-view main event of the Goldberg run is over. It feels like... I think it, it feels like we're about to embark on a new... a new really bad journey for the next couple of months. Yeah, a couple of months. <laughs> but there's going to be a sense of foreboding hanging over Days of Thunder for sure, as we know where this goes as you said we hate to draw that card but it's it's impossible to ignore once you know uh, I, th I think do you know what i think once we get past starcade yeah it'll be more kind of right okay we can embrace it yeah right now they fucked it so let's have some fun yeah yeah like again that's what we kind of did with the sting stuff at the start of the year yeah so again we'll be fucking we'll be forlorn and upset about <laughs> where it's going yeah and ultimately they fucked up one of the biggest stars in wrestling history yeah but i think when we get to the point that it happens we'll kind of kind of go right another reset but for the next two months i think i think we're allowed to be kind of bit surly yeah ultimately because again we know where this goes yeah oh well our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. Uh, 12 matches, 8 clean finishes, uh, 3 interference leading to a finish, and 1 miscellaneous shenanigans being the countout. Um, one more bit of business before you go off the air, folks. You might be expecting, considering we're about to celebrate our 2-year anniversary on the podcast, which is crazy, um, you might be expecting our second annual Fundy Awards. Uh, where we kind of uh, give our sundry awards that I've already forgotten what many of the categories for uh, to the WCW things we've enjoyed and not uh, over the, the previous year of podcasting. We were talking about it off air and we've come to the decision that we think it probably works much better if we wait until the end of 1998. So a couple of months of shows which equates to about maybe four months of podcasting, if that depends on you know how many we crank out in that time, um, before we do the Thundies, because we think if we do a, a Thundy Awards for every six months of WCW we cover, so roughly a year worth of podcasting, give or take, depending on how many special episodes we do, uh, we think that works a bit better than if we did it on the next episode where we'd be doing a Thundies based on four episodes, four months of WCW, and then the next Thundies would be two months of 98 and four months of 99. So we think that's a bit better, and that mm -hmm. way we also have a big lead-in time that we can make the show a bit more enjoyable and, and have a better think about our nominees this year, I think. Yeah, we, we'll kind of think a bit harder about our... Um categories and stuff like that and be a bit more prepared i'd say yeah which is not very like us but you know we'll, we'll try all the same anyway we'll get some help we'll yeah. get some help <laughs> <on that. laughs> right uh 
Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. And from Days of Thunder, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, tell a friend. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the world cast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars